You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carlos Devings, Matt Smith and Neville Bounds. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 223 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. My name is Neville Bounds, and welcome, everybody. Thanks very much indeed for joining. And joining me today in the kitchen studio over there is young Matt. Oh, you're lovely. I never say that enough to you. (laughs) Yes, I'm still in the kitchen studio. I'm officially, I'm on very important poppy cat sitting duties, Uh, although I think I'm actually more here to continue watering Gemma's garden while she's away. But uh, uh, yes, it's, uh, it's been, I I must admit, it's been, it's a, it's a lovely, PTUK Towers is a lovely place to live, it has to be said. (laughs) Yeah, it is, it is good. Uh, Also joining us uh, this week is Pilot Pip. Hello, Pip. Whereabouts, uh, whereabouts are you? Hey, yes. Hi there. I am in... Well, very nice to be here, first of all. Thanks for the invite. Uh, I'm in the... And I'm not being sarcastic for once. The very tropical Luton. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's an absolutely gorgeous day here. I arrived a couple of hours ago and just went out for a run. It's just beautiful weather. Yeah, it um, is. So, you know, not often I've got a nice thing to say about Luton. No, indeed. I mean, the, the UK really has been rather sweltering this last couple of weeks, yeah. really, hasn't it? It's, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's in fact, actually, Nev, before, before we started, Nev, you were saying actually that the weather in, in uh, Portugal, where, where you were, was actually cooler than it is here. <laughs> yes, it was about 25, 26 degrees, which is just, just right for that part of the world. Mm. But, uh, yeah, it, 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 there was no humidity with it. But, uh, yeah, it was getting a bit stifling here. But I think next week is going to be very much the same as well. They, I reckon so, so yeah, so absolutely. That's rather good. Absolutely. It is, absolutely. Yeah, it's a barbecue weather all round, I think. I think so, <laughs> yes. Um, so, what's everybody been up to? What have you been up to this week, Matt? Anything exciting? Well, well I, I, I'm. Uh, I was given with. I was given one task by Carlos actually while I was here. While I am here, because I'm here till Tuesday, looking after uh, PT UK Towers. And uh, there's, uh, I, I sat down and watched a film that I was ridiculed for not having seen. Uh, recently, uh, and I sat down and watched Top Gear in 3D for the very first time. So there top, we are. Top Gear, top, top gear. gear, not Top Gear at all. Top Gear. See, that's why I'm rubbish at this. Oh, top no, Gun. Matt. Top Gun. Sat down and watched. Oh, How dear. could you get that wrong? Shall we start again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody will notice. It will be fine. Yeah. So I sat down and watched Top Gun for the first time right. in glorious high definition, uh, Dolby surround soundy, etc., etc. It was. Uh, it was really quite magical. <laughs> oh, good. And uh, so what have you been up to, Pip, with flying? Have you been up? Yeah, I've been at work all week. I'm just on um, my last day tomorrow. They've just given me a, a short standby tomorrow morning. Uh, but otherwise, it's been a, a manic uh, couple of days. We're well into our crazy season now. So four or five flights every day. I've, uh, oh, I can't remember where I've been, but I did get a, a lovely night stop in Ibiza. Oh, wow. Ago, which is one of my favorites. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, the old town especially uh, apparently is a very nice place uh, to be, isn't it? Not so much, you know, clubland as they call it. But uh. yeah, we stay on a slightly quieter part of the island, just not too far from the airport. But it's uh, it's just really nice this time of year. From from your point of view, Pip, does like the what we what we call the school holidays? Because I mean, obviously, I mean, you're picking up people all around the world, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Is it um, do, do like some holidays have a plane uh, have a sort of bearing on how busy um, your schedule is? Oh yeah, very much, very much. Uh, we. You know, the, the half-term holidays, whenever they are, February or April, whenever, they always make a dramatic difference to yeah. our flight volume. So, yeah, 
keeps you busy, as uh, they say. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're pushing. We're probably pushing about three hundred flights a day at the moment. Wow, we're going to get busier once the summer holidays Gosh. start. That's nearly as many as Ryanair. What's going on? <laughs> well, not quite as many as Ryanair, but you know, it's a lot. It's probably more than I don't know, Virgin or someone like that. Yeah. So we're, you know, we're busy. It's good. Yeah, we're absolutely. All, than, uh, all good for business. Sitting around. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, it mean, means you don't have to spend very long in Luton. <laughs> Oh, that's right. To be honest, I quite enjoy Luton. Most people don't, but it's uh, if you want to go to Parry, then uh, Luton's the place to go. I must admit, I'm not a fan of Luton, but that's just you know several bad experiences. Uh, you got You got to know the right parts, right? Okay. As long as you got your stab vest on, you're right. right. Okay, good, lovely. Anyway, uh, yes, there are other dodgy towns are available, of course, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> no, uh, indeed. <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm a little bit uh, tired today. We had one of our awards ceremonies oh, last dear. night in London, and uh, I think we probably all overdid it. Slightly right. Um, did you have a couple of sherbet lemons last night, Mr. Yes. Mr. Bounce? But uh, yes. they did actually manage to show the footy um, in glorious HD on a very large projector wow. uh, in the room, so that people, whilst they're having the dinner, they could Aww. watch the uh, England Belgium match. And what a terrible shame it wasn't worth watching, Mr. Bounce. So, <laughs> <laughs> a waste of time, really, wasn't it? <laughs> but never mind. We're still through. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, time to talk about um, the commercial aviation segment. So if you're ready, Matt. Uh, I'm doing my very best. He says pressing buttons at Warp Factor 9. Yes, carry on. <laughs> and if you're ready, Pip. Yes, sir. Yep, off we go. Well, starting off this week on the sun.co.uk website, which is obviously where we get all our of course, uh, aviation <laughs> uh, information from, uh, it says that uh, British Airways passenger blast disgraceful airline for giving him a Nutri-Grain bar for breakfast on an £800 long-haul flight. Wow. British Airways say that they offer a lighter second meal uh, during their <laughs> night flights as customers prefer to have the extra time to sleep. And uh, Daniel Hayter from Ledbury had paid $2,200 or £1,600 pounds for his return flights uh, from New York to London when he was offered the breakfast snack. He tweeted a picture of the bar with the caption, Disgraceful British Airways for the price I pay for my ticket and this is breakfast. Your penny-pinching CEO should be fired. This was uh, the breakfast catering you offered on a $2,200 return flight from New York to London. It's a disgrace. Well, BA was quick to apologise, and they said they would notice comments, as many previous passenger comments have been used to change the snack bar offering uh, previously. And they added, we hope you'll see positive changes very soon. But Daniel was unimpressed, telling the airline, there's nothing wrong. There was nothing wrong with the service that I've been used to for over 30 years. It's gone downhill rapidly. Why not just go back to what you used to serve? A BA spokesman have uh, spokesperson has since revealed to the Sun Online Travel that Daniel was given a three-course meal earlier in the flight. They said we offer a lighter second meal during our night flight, as so many of our customers tell us they would prefer to have the extra time to sleep. Uh, we hope Mr. Hater enjoyed his three-course hot meal served on fine china and linen. You notice there's a bit of a sort of a, um, a point being made there. <laughs> yes, a um, bit, yes, served earlier <laughs> in his six-hour flight. Uh, in January, BA said that it was reintroducing the second meal option on several long-haul flights following a backlash at its removal last year. Changes were part of a multi-million pound revamp promised by uh, BA boss Alex Cruz 
uh, before Christmas. Um, the airline also was slated last year for removing free food and drink from its short haul flight and selling Marks and Spencer's sandwiches and snacks instead. Well, we all we heard about that, didn't we? So, uh, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, you're not going to please all of the people all of the time, that's for sure. But I think they could have done, done slightly better than just a, a, a neutral grain bar. Part of me feels like this is just old news, though. Do you know what I mean? It's just... Yes. You know, what, uh, what do you think, Nev, here? When I, I read this, I assumed he was on a, an economy ticket, but then it mentioned that the three-course meal on fine china and the rest of it. Yeah, so I'm wondering well, he's, actually he's, if he's on at least a, a, a premium economy ticket yeah. uh, for £1,600 uh, or a very good business class fare. So, yeah, uh, that's what I thought. it's yes. still kind of shoddy, isn't it? Uh, mm, yeah. yeah. Bar, yeah. Yes, uh, and actually looking at the... Uh, his seat, very difficult to see from the picture there, but it looks as though that could be a business class seat to me, really? or at least a premium economy one. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, um, and yeah. Because uh, and I, I'm not in the habit of sticking up for BA here, but of course there could be a very good explanation perhaps when they, you know, if they were offering, because I can't believe that he's, you know, was he the only one who was offered this? I mean, have we got all of the story here? That's what I'm worried about, especially no, when sure it's involving the sun. some selective <laughs> reporting going on there. I'm well, sure. this is what worries me a little bit, it has to be said. But, uh, yes, if, uh, if, it was, if, if indeed that was all that you were offered for breakfast, then I, I, I do feel very sorry for you, sir. But uh, if... If we don't have the full picture, I'm not sure. I, I think I'm slightly less interested. So on to the next story for you, Matt. Yes, indeed. The next story, this is on the Daily Star, uh, which obviously is another quality publication that we go to for all of our uh, uh, Ryanair news in this case. And the headline, and there's several pictures here that I can't put up uh, because it is the Daily Star. Ryanair passengers uh -huh. are st Stuck on tarmac for two hours in heat wave. Uh, passengers on a flight departing Birmingham Airport have reported being stuck on tarmac for more than two hours in blistering temperatures. Frustrated passengers on the Ryanair flight to Gr uh, Genoa from Birmingham Airport were delayed for two hours and 50 minutes after their flight was due to take off at 1.35pm. Flight number RYR, that's not right. RY, perhaps they were doing a code here. Anyway, RYR8046 slash... Well, that, that's Ryanair's uh, prefix, rather than using FR. Yeah. RYR is the... Uh, okay, uh, <laughs> fair enough, good. Okay. The code one. Yeah. Uh, has now taken off from Birmingham Airport. The flight was scheduled to land in Spain at 17.20pm. At, uh, uh, one concerned mum took to Twitter as uh, to ask Ryanair for updates. My daughter is on flight FR8046. What's happening? One hour's delay, now been told, stuck on tarmac in hot aircraft for up to three hours as slot missed but possibly uh, longer and no waters on board disappointed and a very worried mum the delays comes as uh, brits melt in temperatures of up to 30.2 degrees today parts of the uk are hotter than many holiday hotspots in spain and beyond which we covered at the top of the show uh public health england has issued a health warning uh, uh warning that vulnerable people may, namely oops and children need to take care during exceptionally hot spells of weather uh, when temperatures reached uh, 32 degrees uh during the summer of 2009 300 people 
uh, more than usual were uh, passed away. Uh, figures says, I'm not sure why that's relevant, so I'm going to stop storing. And, and the picture, as you would expect, uh, underneath is a lovely picture of 1976, uh, the, the, the summer that Britain sizzled, and uh, scantily clad uh, ladies lying on what looked like very cracked football pitches or something. But there you know, there you go. It's uh, it's the Daily Star. We should we shouldn't be less. It, Expressed so well again. Uh, not enough detail here in regard to why they were on the tarmac. I don't know. Is that I mean that that may be commonplace for a lot of airlines these days. Uh, I don't... think it says something about missing their slot, which probably refers to a, a CTOT calculated takeoff time slot, which is a <clears throat> a thing imposed on us from uh, Euro Control. Yeah, uh, and there's a very much a random element to them. They go backwards, they go forwards, um, and if you miss it. You yeah. could be stuck there for hours waiting for another arm. Right. So they're okay. quite tricky. But, uh, yeah, I, I've got a certain amount of sympathy here. It's There's only so much air conditioning you can pump into a an aircraft, even with the, the old APU going or some ground air conditioning yeah. plugged in when it's just that hot outside. Uh, you know, And you're on a full aeroplane, it can get a little bit stuffy. Yeah, I mean, is is the issue here possibly though? I mean, uh, you know, I know Ryanair, Ryanair gets a, a a rough uh, go of it if you see what I mean because they aren't overly uh, generous with in regard to information. But I mean, it, uh, you know, it, well, if, there's not when you're dealing with a slot like that. There's not an awful lot you can do. Let's say you've got a, a slot in two hours' time. Yeah, you might say, well, let us off the aircraft then, and we'll go and get something to eat. But the trouble is that slot, as I said, it can be ever so slightly random. That slot might suddenly change into uh, in 30 minutes' time. Right, okay. It might come back an hour and a half. So if you just let everyone off and suddenly you get a big improvement, yeah, um, then yeah. you're going to miss that one as well. So, so it's... I, I suppose sort of stuck between a rock... leave everyone on board. Yeah, so they're stuck between a rock and a hard place, I guess, in, on this particular Yeah, yeah, place. and it's difficult. I was on a, just a couple of days ago, actually, on a, a BA146, which is a real treat, actually. You don't often get to go on those hmm. in Dublin. But, uh, you know, that's a knackered old machine, and it was swelteringly <laughs> hot outside, and it was miserable inside. It gets so hot and stuffy, even with the, those four hair dryers doing their yeah. best to pump in some air. Yeah. Some people say it's four APUs or the engines, in fact. Well, I, I, even that would have been a blessing. I think it was uh, four Morphe Richard hair dryers. Right. Oh, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> sounds like a plan. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, dear. Uh, well, uh, uh, Pip, I think yours is the next story, if that's okay. Oh, yes, sir. Right. So this is from CNBC.com. Mm. What you... What you get for $111 airfare to Iceland? So this is a, a reporter has taken a flight with Wow Air and uh, is telling us all about it. And she, I believe this is she, says, Budget airline Wow made a name for itself by offering rock-bottom fares for seats aboard its purple jets across the Atlantic. The catch? Fees for seat selection, food and luggage. I was curious about the airline because I had heard some negative feedback from other travellers about rigid fees and a lack of information from the carrier when things go wrong. Wow also ranked last amongst 72 airlines worldwide in a recent study by AirHelp, a company that helps travellers get compensated by airlines when things go wrong with their flights. So is it worth it to... Tr uh, sorry, let me start that again. So is it worth it to fly long haul with an ultra-low-cost ultra airline? Well, that depends upon your expectations and how many wardrobe changes you require on your trip. <laughs> That's why I think this is a woman writing this. Right, right okay. <laughs> oh, can I say that? Probably not. No, Sorry, probably not. But anyway, half, we'll half pretend. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. 
That's all right. Yeah. Uh, Auntie Liz will get her own back, don't you worry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll continue before anyone notices. I snagged a ticket in early June to Iceland from JFK International Airport in New York, and I tried to keep costs low, starting with my subway and air train ride to the airport. <clears throat> this is a long story, by the way. Uh, the ticket was just about $300. That's 111 for the first leg out, a great deal for a fare less than a week before travelling. I was headed to Iceland to meet with WOW CEO Scully Morgerson. The airline chief executive at the last minute had to move our meeting to another date because he was going to be out of the country. Uh, a date change which cost $400 given the difference in airfare. At one point I accidentally chose the wrong date and was charged $51 and a customer service agent who picked up the call an hour later said it couldn't be refunded because it was my fault. Uh, in brackets, it was my error, but since I had handed over an additional $400, I thought I'd have some chance of getting that waived. Uh, I took the gamble and did not select a seat for my outbound flight, which would have cost, uh, sorry, would have cost $7 and at least $40 for more legroom. I lucked out with a window seat uh, because a carry-on bag costs at least $45, I used a tape measure to make sure my small backpack met the standards for a free personal item. For a longer trip, I would recommend packing as light as possible. Doing laundry in Barcelona is cheaper than bringing a bigger bag <laughs> with you for $45. Okay. Right, the flight was scheduled to take off at 12.40 a.m. Wow charges for food on board, and because the flight is so late, the best bet is to eat a meal before the airport or take a gamble that there'll be food on board. Bring your own water. Wow charges for bottled water on board. Okay, most airlines do. Yeah. A late arriving aircraft pushed back the departure time, at first by about 40 minutes. I received a text message from the airline at 3.30 p.m. about the delay. There wasn't any information about further delays until passengers arrived at the airport. Uh, do you think a lot of this, I mean, this is obviously quite a quite a um, sort of scathing review, I suppose, but do you think possibly perhaps it's because, I mean, bearing in mind she's a, she's an American in this case, perhaps it's, I mean, we're so very used to what I call the low-cost model here uh, in Europe and the UK especially. Uh, do you think it's just that perhaps it's, you know, where, where she's used to perhaps travelling with what I call the legacy carriers and stuff more, perhaps her... Yeah, her I think the low-cost model's pretty well established over there as well. Is it? Yeah. Uh, and even on the, the legacy carriers, they're... Um, There's think, a trimming. From my experience, anyway, you'll, you'll end up buying water and food on board and yeah. the service isn't great. Um, so, no, I don't... I don't think this would have been anything new to her. No. Okay. Fair enough. This story goes on an awful lot. So if anyone wants to find it, I'm sure they can read yeah, the uh, absolutely. notes. But, um, yeah, indeed. Is, is anything of any... CNBC.com uh, is the yeah. website, and just search for Wow Air. I'm sure you'll find it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, I don't know. Any, yeah. any thoughts, Nev? I think the doing... Um, budget airline operations uh, within a continent so the US in the case yeah. of you know Southwest for example uh, and uh, EasyJet and Ryanair and others in uh, the European regions quite straightforward when you're going across continents I think there's a lot more costs involved and uh, the the cost models really got to work they've, they've got a lot of, lot of commercial yeah. analysis to make those routes work viable them, yeah. I, I guess um, so uh, but yeah interesting to see uh, if if that will be um, that will could be the you know I don't think it'll be the norm but I think there'll be lots yeah. of other possibilities uh, for it in the future yeah. definitely. no I, I think I agree with you yeah very much so 
Okay, next story I think is with you, sir. Sorry, Pip, what did you say? Did I Skype out? Sorry, I was saying it's all about choices. If, if people want it, then they'll pay yeah. for it. If they don't, they won't. Yeah, Absolutely. true, Absolutely. true indeed. Absolutely. And as I say, I mean, I, I mean, I, I say, I say it before, and I say it again. I mean, you know, we use Ryanair essentially as the buses of the skies, and you know, I mean, they they very adequately took me to Rome. I wasn't expecting any frills or, or anything like that. You know, you know, you, it it is what it is, and it's it's a fantastic and very cheap way of getting from, you know, one part of the world to to the other. It is, absolutely. Uh, so next story on then, uh, it's on the NBCnews.com website, and it says that Boeing has unveiled plans for what could be the world's first hypersonic airliner, mm-hmm. a sleek, futuristic-looking craft that the Seattle-based company said will be capable of flying five times the speed of sound, or about 3,800 miles per hour. At that speed, which is Mach 5, it will be possible to travel from New York City to London in about two hours, instead of the eight-hour trip on a conventional airliner. That means someone could conceivably fly overseas for a meeting and return home in a single day. Humankind has always wanted to go faster, always wanted to do things faster, says Kevin Bocott, who's chief scientist of hypersonics at Boeing. People cannot make time, so there is an inherent value in time itself. The as-yet-unnamed plane would be uh, would be much faster not only than conventional airlines which cruise at about 550 miles an hour but also the supersonic concord aircraft that flew routes across the north atlantic ocean from 1976 to 2003 and concord of course was produced by a, a british and french consortium uh, which could reach just over mach 2 uh, meaning that the new york city to london trip took just under four hours boeing's proposed plane however described in broad strokes at an industry conference in atlanta this week could be used for military applications as well as commercial aviation but it might take 20 to 30 years to take to the skies Bocart said supersonic and hypersonic meaning five times the speed of sound or faster have been hyped as the next era of commercial aviation since at least the 1950s but with the exception of Concorde which was permanently grounded three years after a fatal crash in France building such airplanes has proven to be an elusive goal. It's been a dream for some while now, said Stuart Craig, an assistant professor of aerospace and mechanical engineering at the University of Arizona, who is not affiliated with Boeing. We've been striving for this hypersonic technology for the better part of half a century, but in recent years, advances in computational uh, technology and materials technology have made it much more in grasp. That's definitely an American way of saying it, isn't it? <laughs> uh, one key question for Boeing, though, and other aircraft manufacturers will be whether airline passengers will be willing to pay the higher ticket prices that hypersonic air travel would command. And those high prices, along with limited routes, played a role in the demise of Concorde, says Mike Sinnett, Boeing's vi- vice president of future airplane development. We can all do kinds of cool things, but those cool things have led to something that creates uh, value, or at the end of the day it's not going to be successful, he said. In general, people flew on Concorde as a novelty. It didn't change the world uh, and Sorry, it didn't change the world, and the economics weren't right. I don't actually I necessarily don't agree, with uh, that. agree with that. <laughs> no. no, I don't at all. At all, no. because uh, Concorde was actually a very successful operation. It was. But the, the vast, in fact, it actually uh, made British Airways a great deal of money. And I remember yeah. uh, Captain John Hutchinson saying in an interview once that uh, uh, that you know, the, the regular passengers were had a survey 
And uh, the question was, or one of the questions was, what did you think you paid for your Concorde ticket today? And of course, businessmen and women uh, high up, they really didn't know. So no. they averaged all, all the answers out and they basically came up with a with a figure. And yeah. uh, it, it made a lot of money for, for British Airways over, over a long period yeah, of time. Yeah, and also, I mean, again, I mean, people were tra- flying on it because th- there was something very cool about flying on Concorde. It didn't necessarily mm. matter whether it was businessmen or whatever. I mean, I think, I think if it was still functioning now I know obviously it would have been very very old by now but I mean if, if there was an equivalent now I still think it would be flying with full seats and also I think I'm not sure that the crash in France necessarily had the, the big effect on it but the biggest problem was of course it was the economic uh, period that this all happened in so those yes. those holes in the Swiss cheese sort of lined up a bit but, uh, <laughs> yeah, was, yeah. as we know there was a lot of politics behind it yeah. and, uh, Airbus just yeah. frankly didn't want to provide the support anymore so they exactly right. yeah. uh, manoeuvred it in such a way that, that uh, it's, uh, so do you think stopped. we're going to see hypersonic travel in your lifetime Pip? Well, I suppose that depends on how long I live, but right. um, I okay. hope so. <laughs> you're feeling yeah. okay at the moment, then? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, not, you're not well, Pip. Is this your way of telling us? Is that, no, what, yeah, is that what just... all this crazy running is all about all of yeah. a sudden? Mm. <laughs> no, I think um, I, I hope we'll see a return to supersonic passenger yep. flights. Um, hypersonic, which I, I didn't know, but this article says is above Mark V. Um, cool. I hope we see that as well. But um, it'd be nice. I, I think... Uh, you know, there's another company who have been pushing quite hard. I forget what they're called, but they're developing some sort of supersonic mm, business jet of sorts, sort of a 1920-seat um, passenger plane. Mm. And maybe there'll be a market for that. Uh, it's, it's the thing about the, the sonic boom, which was the big problem for, for Concorde, as you remember. Um, mm. You know, if the, the environmentalists and the politicians hadn't got on, on their back about that and if Concorde had been allowed to fly over land then it yeah. would have been an even bigger success. So if they can overcome that thing with the yeah. sonic booms, which apparently they're developing ways of making you know, it what quieter, it is, ways, yeah. ways around it, ways to dissipate that sonic yeah. boom. If they can get around that then then yeah, maybe that really will yeah. take off in a big way. I hope it does. Yeah, I'd love I, to see. It. I'd love to fly one as well, of course. Oh know? yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I mean, I mean, we 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 ask uh, the question, don't we, of pilots every time we we're lucky enough to interview one, and we always ask the question: if you could choose any aircraft, what would you most like to fly? And so many of them say, "Oh, I'd love to fly in in or fly Concorde." You know, I mean, it is it is such an iconic uh, thing. I just. Uh, uh, it's. I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Captain Al is very much agreeing with you. By the way, he reckons he di- he disagrees as well, saying that Concorde was hugely profitable for British Airways, and um, it's uh, uh, Nico Rieger is suggesting that maybe they'll ne- uh, rename it the Speedy Lemon, the Hyper. Oh, <laughs> Do you I think, think that'll be appropriate? Yes. yes, I think so. Is is that after your your, your banana by any chance? There never <laughs> <laughs> possibly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so, uh, moving on, then next story is uh, for you, Matt. Yes, indeed, and this is uh, this this aeroplane amazes me. It really does. It's uh, uh, and of course, I, I was very lucky to see uh, a, a, a similar variant landing at Toulouse when I was uh, when I was out there with Owen. But uh, anyway, this is on the AIN online, and uh, the headline is first Beluga XL rolls out of the Airbus paint hangar, and I'll pop the picture up when I finish reading the story. Uh, but the first Beluga XL rolls out of the Airbus's paint shop in 
Lose on Thursday, unveiling a special livery in the image of a beluga whale, which is so cool. Uh, one of six choices submitted to Airbus employees through a poll in which 20,000 people participated. The livery garden garnered garnered 40% of the votes. The Beluga XL will now undergo ground testing before first flight during the summer. Uh, Airbus decided to build the Beluga XL in November 2014 to address the transport and ramp up capacity requirements for the company beyond 2019. Uh, engineers big, uh, based on the put my teeth back in and try that again. Engineers based the new oversized transport on the A330-200 freighter employing extensive reuse of existing components and equipment. Newly development components include the Beluga's lowered cockpit cargo bay structure and rear end and tail. Airbus estimates the fleet of five Beluga XL aircraft will provide it with 30% more transport capacity than its current fleet of five A300-600 ST Belugas uh, that can currently carry. Uh, operated by Airbus subsidiary airline airline Airbus Transport International, the existing fleet carries complete sections of Airbus aircraft built at various sites in Europe to final assembly lines in Toulouse, France, Hamburg, Germany and Seville in Spain. Uh, plans for the first, uh, f- first of five Beluga XLs to fly next year and enter service in 2019 while Airbus continues to operate the existing models until it retires the last of the 5A300 based airplanes in 2025. Airbus has chosen Rolls-Royce Trent 700s to power the new Belugas along with the company's Total Care engine support package in a contract value to be $700 million. Oh, I do love that number. That is a huge number. And this is, so the, the paint job on this is absolutely outstanding. I really love it here. So they have literally made it look like a dolphin, which is just fantastic. It's, uh, it's even got the little smile there. I mean, they are, uh, you look at that and you just think, how on earth does that thing get in the air? It's just like... I mean, they don't even seem to have any particular special. You know, it's still only got. Is that two engines? It's only got, or perhaps they yes, haven't finished. Is, yeah. is it? Is it only going to have two engines? Yes. Wow. You wouldn't so, have thought uh, there'd be enough power to get that because it's well, not the most know, the, aerodynamic thing in the world. Yes, I mean, engine <laughs> technology has just gone incredible, isn't it? You yeah. Know, the, the size of the, and the amount of power and the amount of thrust that these engines can produce these days. But uh, yeah, it's it's not a pleasant looking aircraft, is it? But, oh, uh, yeah, I know. I'm going to I'm gonna disagree with you there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'm with, I'm with <laughs> Actually, on this. doesn't. The paint scheme, mm, it's interesting. That's the first time I've seen that. Well, actually, um, I just happened to fly in Toulouse, into Toulouse this morning. Oh, wow. And I looked across to the Airbus factory, and do you know what? Yeah. I didn't see that aircraft at all. Okay, oh. right, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I okay. didn't see it. Uh, I saw lots of other lovely things. I saw an absolutely gorgeous A350, freshly painted in Iberia colours. Oh, nice. oh, nice. That was really lovely, but uh, no, I didn't see that one. Yeah. Yeah, I must admit we were very lucky because obviously it was still sort of in. It got like the undercoat, primer coat, if you see what I mean. When 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 we saw it, because it was being moved from one part of the factory to the other while we were on our bus having a tour. So it was it was a a real sort of exclusive look, if you like. Of, yeah, of what, I used to what was quite to regularly see the uh, the current Belugas. We used to uh, on the Hawker flying to yeah. uh, Horden. Or harder now is going to tell me off in the chat room. Now, oh, so what, more than likely. Yes. We used to fly in there a lot. So we always used to see you one of the uh, daily services. And, um, you know, that's an interesting-looking aircraft as well. 
Oh dear! It's nice to see that Al Al's up to his usual tricks. So he said he ca- you can't you can't beat a remodelled tail end apparently, which is uh, mm. I think advice for life in general really. Um, <laughs> and he's he's sort of saying really from from my point of view, he's he's actually sort of just saying like to me like uh, that uh, it's not carrying heavy weights, just bulky wings and and presumably like the um, the hulls and things, isn't it? Like the the, the tube for want of a better word. Uh, That's the correct word, I believe, the tube. Oh, the tube, is it? Oh, get me. Yes, right. definitely. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. what they call it. Indeed. The Atlas tube. Yeah, yeah. As Mariana says, are you chatting while you're packing, Al? You, uh, <laughs> you just can't let these opportunities... But we don't want to know what he's typing with, I think, is more what I'm worried about. <laughs> we all know what he's packing. like. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. There's, a, there's a thought. Yes. Anyway, yes. Uh, somebody dig me out of this hole, will they, please? Pip, I think yes. you're next. <laughs> is it me? All right. So, it's uh, another Airbus story, actually. Oh. And uh, apologies, I, I haven't pre-read this one. Um, so, let me see if I can... Flight Global, I think, is the website anyway. Yes, it is flightglobal.com, a a very useful website. The first Airbus ACJ320neo has entered final assembly in Hamburg, Germany, and is on schedule for delivery to its UK customer, Acropolis Aviation, in the fourth quarter. Who are they? Uh, Yeah, Acropolis. Uh, The Farnborough headquartered luxury charter company launched the VIP version of the A320neo in 2015, and selected the uh, CFM Leap 1A engine for the aircraft in 2017. Uh, Acropolis has appointed Swiss Completions House AMAC Aerospace to outfit the narrow body, which will feature 19 seats and a private master bedroom with luxury ensuite bathroom designed by French studio Albert Pinto. Uh, AMAC is scheduled to complete the project with uh, within 12 months. A second A320neo is also due for green delivery, whatever that means, at the end of 2018 to an unnamed customer. The aircraft will be outfitted by Comlux Completions in Indianapolis. Oh. Uh, Airbus has secured nine orders for the ACJ320neo family, uh, of which three are the smaller A319neo variant. Airbus is aiming to deliver the first example in the second quarter of 2019 to Germany's K5 aviation. The charter and management company has appointed Dutch maintenance repair and overhaul firm Fokker Technik to outfit the aircraft on behalf of its unnamed owner. Airbus has more than 190 corporate airliners in service worldwide. Wow. There yeah. It's... Um... I was just trying to find a bit of information about it, but uh, yeah. So they, uh, the, uh, it's yeah. Uh, so these are these are just private jets, yeah. Uh, outfitted for, for I suppose some of them are, are bought by charter companies, as uh, the yeah. story mentions. But a fair few, they're just privately owned. Uh, you know, you see quite a lot of these out there. The the more popular model until now has seemed to be the Boeing BBJ, the Boeing business jets. You see quite a lot of those around. Um, a lot of Middle Eastern registered ones. Uh, most of the Middle Eastern royal families have their own BBJs. Uh, but yeah, there's certainly a few Airbuses knocking around. And I'm starting to see now actually quite a few privately owned um, uh, Embraer 175s converted into biz jets. Okay. That's quite a new thing. It's only this last few months I've started to see those. Uh, I mean, and the 175s, I mean, what's the, you know, what I call a conventional um, layout? I mean, how, how many people would that normally carry? Uh, it's about a hundred. It's a slightly smaller. Right, so it's quite Airbus. a big plane, then. It is. I mean, if you see these things interiors when they're decked out as a bizjet, they're 
really quite lovely. Quite luxurious. luxurious. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. you know, you can certainly live in one. Yeah. In my front room, that's for sure. <laughs> I've been, you know, yeah. Got, uh, you know, and, and the jets we fly are pretty snazzy, but these things are something else. Yeah. Got, you know, master double bedrooms with showers and wow. conference facilities and whatnot. Very Goodness nice me! So you really, you really could have your conference in the air, before, you know, and then and then move on to the next thing as soon as you land. That's it. Yeah, they they don't name a price here, but um, I'm betting it costs a few quid. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I would put money on it. I would put money on it. Uh, <laughs> Nair, probably more than probably more than my A320 Neo uh, lanyard that was delivered oh. um, just uh, just the other day. Uh, which right. was special. Well, yeah, it is, uh, except uh, it's a bit of a massive fail because the uh, the fob bit on the bottom uh, says Airbus A330 on it. Oh so dear, uh, <laughs> it's not gone well, is it? Yes, so, I, I, a stern letter, I think, Nev. I yes, think that's, you know, absolutely. That's what's required. <laughs> Anyway, before you start crying, let's let's uh, let's move on to the next story. <laughs> yes. Now, obviously, we have made an editorial decision not to talk about Brexit on this show, right? Uh, uh-huh. be, be, because um, <laughs> when Pip and I are on it, it's yes. just not good. It's just no. not a good subject. Unfortunately, uh, I don't select the stories. No, uh, Carlos and, does. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, Carlos has uh, d- done some editorial control here, yes, and he's directed us towards the Express.co.uk website. The headline says, Project Fear Dismantled by Boeing's Ambitious £40 million Plan for Brexit Britain. Oh. Aircraft manufacturer Boeing is set to invest a further £40 million in the United Kingdom in an ambitious uh, plan for post-Brexit Britain. Boeing Sheffield engineer James Needham said, and the investment comes as Airbus raises concerns about the risks of a no-deal Brexit. Mr Needham said that Boeing's £40 million plans were originally announced in September last year uh, and will result in the expansion of its production line in Sheffield after Brexit. He insisted that the company remain confident about Britain's role in the industry after its withdrawal from the EU, despite aerospace giant uh, Airbus warning it would consider moving in the event of a no-deal Brexit. Uh, Mr Needham told Sophie Ridge on Sky News the round figure would be uh, 30 to £40 million, and we have been in the UK for 80 years, and that's a proud history in Sheffield of innovation and technology and manufacturing excellence. This is reflected in the UK's rich heritage of aerospace innovation. This is a, a continuation of that. Mr Needham said that Boeing had ambitious plans to show the company is growing, saying the Sheffield facility is planning to reach full rate production by next year. He continued, we're here and we're growing. We have an ambitious plan to deliver successful manufacturing quality. 146 components will leave Sheffield and be on every 737 from the middle of next year when we hit full rate production. Airbus CEO Tom Williams warned the government that 14,000 jobs in the UK will be put in jeopardy should Theresa May fail to deliver on a new trade agreement with Brussels. Mr Williams also said, we are already beginning to press the button on our crisis actions. We have got to be able to protect our employees, our customers and our shareholders and we can't do that in the current situation. But their announcement has been met with criticism from the front bench with Health Secretary Jeremy Hunt claiming that Airbus could undermine uh, the Prime Minister's negotiating strategy. Mr Hunt said, I thought it was completely inappropriate for businesses to be making these kinds of threats for one very simple reason. We're at an absolutely critical moment in the Brexit decisions and what that means is that we need to get behind Theresa May to deliver the best possible Brexit, a clean Brexit. Well, make of that what you will, but um, <laughs> we're all still going to be doing business 
aren't we? Yeah, uh, I think so. Sorts itself out. I think so. I mean, there there is a, a, a you know, I suppose some people are nervous because uh, you know, and O'Leary has been quite vocal in his concerns over over sort of getting the the air rights, I suppose, sorted out. I don't know if that's the correct word, Pip. You, I'm sure you can correct me there. Um, but um, I mean, I'm pretty sure that it's you know, it's planes aren't suddenly not going to be able to fly, are they? I mean, it's I don't know. Any comments, Pip? Um, yes. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, my favourite bit there was um, Jeremy Hunt claiming that our Prime Minister has a, a Brexit strategy. Okay, right. That's a rather grand claim. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, I, must, I must admit, I'm, I've been quite ignorant here. I didn't realise that Boeing had um, a production facility in, uh, in Sheffield. Um, do you know what they do up there, Ned? No, I don't. Yeah, I... I hadn't yeah. heard that before. Um, all this, uh, all this stuff about Project Fear, I can't help feeling is uh, is, is nonsense. You, you know, big businesses like Airbus are not. Obviously, they would like to see us remain within the EU. It's in their own interest. Yeah. But you know, they're they're there to make money. That's that's it. They've not got any loyalties one way or the other. They need to make a profit. Yeah, um, and if they think they can make more money somewhere else, then, then they'll, they'll take, do it. It's yeah, not absolutely some sort of veiled threat or or bluff. So here we um, go. So so uh, Boeing uh, Boeing announced in February 2017 that it plans to open a production facility in Sheffield, United Kingdom, to manufacture high tech components for Boeing's next generation 737, 737 Max, and 777 aircraft. There you are. So they're making high-tech, uh, high-tech, high-end um, uh, components for the aircraft. Well, that's 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 great. That's, I hope yeah. that continues, and I hope they plan more investment into that. But mm. that's got no bearing on on what Airbus are gonna gonna do. I, uh, the only, on the flip side, I must say I'm slightly peed off at Airbus. You know, after all, Airbus is not a um, exclusively French or, or European no. country. You know, it was a conglomerate of many yeah. companies, and, and one of the biggest parts of that conglomerate was BAE System. Yeah. So it's as much a British company as anything else. Yeah. Um, so it would be a, well, a bit of, of a the, poke in the eye if they did up sticks and, and move somewhere else. And Rolls-Royce, of course, lots, with you know, lots of yeah. posturing going on, isn't there? At, I think at this there is. stage, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. There is, but I think uh, without getting too political, I think our politicians would be extraordinarily foolish to dismiss this stuff as scaremongering and um, project fear as they call it. Mm. I mean certainly there's uh, in this this week just gone there's been some uh, high level talks I think going on sort of into the wee small hours I think to try and get a lot of this all sorted. As as a very personal example you know my company that I work for SafeJets we're although we're a UK registered company our head office is here in the UK our actual operational headquarters and our uh, AOC, our Air Operator Certificate, is based in the EU, in Portugal. Yep. So there's huge question marks that we can't answer yet until we know what's going to happen. There's huge yeah. question marks as to what we, we'll have to do. We'll probably, like some other companies have already said, we'll probably end up having to start a UK AOC mm. and have some aircraft registered here because yeah. otherwise we're not going to be able to do the intra-UK flights. You know, If we want to fly from London to Glasgow in a European registered airplane, yeah. And that's uh, you know there's issues with cabotage there, so yeah. we're going to have to make provisions for that. Well, of course, and, and, and you know Ryanair have been sort of quite you know it, it is well known that that they do have some UK based, uh, you know there is a Ryanair UK now that's all been set up in in readiness for 
for you know whatever happens in 2019 you know mm, and that's fair enough but you know there's with only a few months to go now there's mm. so many questions still remaining yeah you know. again without getting too political i've got no faith in our leadership team in may in hunt in uh, yes uh, I, I, davis to to run these negotiations. Yes. I, 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 th I think we should it's not move, looking good. I think we should move on uh, but, but maybe just sort of finish by saying I think a lot of people are very nervous about it all being left to the last minute. I think perhaps that's Yeah, fair, I mean it could turn comment. out to be great. I really hope it does. I mean yeah. there's a, a big risk that the, yep. the direction we're taking and yep. I just wonder if the risk if the rewards are worth the risk. I hope I hope they are. They yeah, are. absolutely. I think in the short term it is going to be a a bit of a mess yeah but then i think with any change obviously it's that you know change is never good uh, you know it's uh, i think it'll sort itself out anyway brexit move on uh, <laughs> maybe we should do a, a brexit special one week just we could talk about that and yeah we get okay. it all out of the way in one hit then we? we could we <laughs> could invite lots of high high uh, high level tub thumpers as i call them uh i i made the terrible mistake of sitting down and watching good evening britain for a, a little while last night and uh, a certain that Piers Morgan was quite vocal on the whole subject and indeed was Danny Dyer which is one of the funniest things I think I've seen in a long time and I, I'm frightened to say he actually made an awful lot of sense and it's a bit worrying that the only person oh, in the UK funny that's... Like we were talking about this yeah. over breakfast yeah. we just happened to catch a bit of this awful programme yeah. after the football last night and Danny Dyer I mean not one of the country's leading thinkers, I think no, it's fair to say. No, but it's a bit alarming. He seems to be the only one talking sense when it comes well, to this awful I think subject. <laughs> bloody worrying when people <laughs> are, oh, no. are claiming that Danny Dyer is talking sense. Yeah, okay. Well, no, I, I mean, but it, it, I must admit, when I was watching it, I did think, oh, that's that's worryingly um, informed of you. <laughs> but anyway, mm, there we well. are. Yes. Anyway, moving on quickly. I'm gonna I'm gonna move yeah, on do, to, do the, move on. to the next. We're gonna fall out on air. <laughs> uh, yes. Anyway, Newsweek uh, is the uh, next uh, website. Newsweek.com, and uh, I'm not quite sure where Carlos was going with this story, uh, but it says uh, in the headline: "Lost rabbit caused bomb alert at international airport." Uh, so a bomb squad was called to investigate a suspicious bag at an international airport, only to find that it was an abandoned rabbit. I said rabbit, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, okay. Australian Federal Police, the AFP, called explosive experts in when a pink bag was discovered in the female toilets at Adelaide Airport. But instead of an explosives device, the team found it to be Lorna Jane branded bag, the Lorna Jane branded bag, a male rabbit in a red harness. AFP Acting State Manager Commander Brett McCann told ABC News, We treat everything in the aviation space very seriously, but our bomb appraisal officers certainly weren't expecting to find a rabbit in unattended luggage. That's it. That's the end of the story. There's nothing else in uh, really to go in there. Is a, thankfully, the rabbit is safe and well, and hopefully the owner will be found. Uh, there we are. <laughs> yes. There's so much material that we could have uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, indeed. Should we go back to Brexit? No, let's not. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, but uh, this next story, uh, the Pip's going to do, is my favourite story of the week. Is actually. it? Yes. Okay. Yes, I rather like it as well. So, <laughs> I'm sure everybody has seen this already. Uh, this is from the businessinsider.com. A man in his underwear ran onto tarmac at Atlanta's airport, jumped onto the wing of a Delta plane and pounded on the windows while yelling at passengers inside. 
as you so, do. Was this just uh, an angry passenger? Was it just a nutcase? Well, let's find out. A man was arrested on Tuesday at Hartfield Jackson, Atlanta International Airport, after police say he ran onto the tarmac and jumped onto the wing of a plane. Shortly before 5 p.m., uh, how do you pronounce his name? Jarin Jones? Yes. Jarin Jones, 19 years old, sprinted onto a runway at the world's busiest airport and ran up to a Delta Airlines plane from Miami that had just landed. Uh, in a video obtained by WSB-TV, the man could be seen wearing only grey boxer briefs. Uh, WSB-TV said the airport confirmed that he jumped a fence to get on the runway. Do we have that video footage? Matthew? Yeah, it's running now, sir, yes. Indeed. Oh, brilliant. I have not seen it. Let me just... Yeah. Uh... <laughs> it's running now. It's, um... Ooh, those are well-chosen briefs. Yeah, indeed. Absolutely. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> just showing off a bit. Yeah, I think he is. Yeah, yeah well, absolutely. You know if yeah. got it, flaunt it. Why not? Yeah, well, quite right. Amen. Yes. Uh, just a, a... What's he doing? Well, we're not sure. He's sitting under the wing, which is a bit peculiar. Do we know what type of aeroplane that was? <laughs> uh, I think it was an MD-88, wasn't it? Oh, was it really? Oh, anyone we know? Yeah. Well, this is what I was thinking. You know, <laughs> yeah. Perhaps... Uh, Perhaps he, he couldn't download the latest version of the uh, yeah. uh, APG. Uh, APG, absolutely. That's very yeah. controversial, well, that Nev. I don't know what you mean. Uh, good, it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Gosh, look at that. Shall I continue with the story? I should. Mm. Yeah, why not? <laughs> That's very um, bra brazen of him. WSB TV obtained cockpit recordings from the airplane. Do we have that audio at all? Yeah, no, steady. Look, I did well to find the video, no. all right? Okay. No, no, no. Not criticizing. Really well done. Um, he's tossing. Some stuff around the person could be right. recording. Okay. My, my guess is he's got his clothes off and now he's laying on the pavement, maybe doing push ups. Well, why not? Well, <laughs> he does look like someone who might have done one or two in his time. Yeah, uh, I, I he's will a, give him his he, uh, ripped, I think, is the. That is the correct uh, term, the so phrase. yes, very okay. good. Yeah. <laughs> um, the cell phone video shot by a passenger on the Delta flight appears to show the man yelling, talking to himself, and gesturing. WSB TV reported that Jones jumped onto the wing of the Delta plane, pounded on the windows, at once disturbing and amusing some passengers. Uh, Jones was taken into custody within five minutes. Yes, uh, I don't Delta think... declined to comment, and Hartsfield Jackson Atlanta International Airport did not immediately re respond to a request for a comment. Um, um, one of the runways was forced to close. And officials redirected traffic to other runways until police examined the plane. And I think that's all the useful information yeah. in the story. So that's rather. Uh yeah, I mean, there, episode, there, there's concern there, really. I mean, it's uh, maybe this fence isn't high enough for me, <laughs> you know, just to sort of uh, clear the fence and basically jump in. I mean, it's... Uh... Well, you know, where there's a wheelie, there's a way. Uh, well, indeed, yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Yes, well done. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, sh sh shall we move on? Uh... Yes. <laughs> just a final thought on that. I mean, obviously, Atlanta is a massive airport. It is, so... yeah. There must be so many uh, areas where they need to, uh, you know, separate the uh, air side area from the, from the land side area. So uh, on the perimeter, for example. So yeah, it must be very very difficult to, to stop. Yeah, people, uh, just indeed. <laughs> Absolutely terrible. Uh, right, next story then is on the HoustonChronicle.com, and the headline says, "What will airports look like in 30 years?" And it says that uh, airports could evolve into small cities with office complexes 
hotels and shopping centres that entice travellers to stick around and spend more money. Haven't they basically just described Heathrow there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, turning airports into these mini economic zones will present an opportunity for private investment and for public-private partnerships, panellists said Wednesday during an Urban Land Institute luncheon discussing the trends and opportunities for airport real estate. Most airports you want to get in and out of because they're not necessarily the experience that you want to dwell in, says uh, Benjamin Richter, uh, founder and CEO of Bradford Airport Logistics. Uh, the, the goal is to create an airport experience where you actually go to this centre because it's the most effective place to do business. You want to dwell there. The cost to do that could be enormous, though. Uh, simply upgrading US infrastructure to accommodate the next 30 to 50 years of air traffic could require more than $150 billion, said Andrew Wright, who's the managing partner and founder of Related Infrastructure. Much of that will be private capital. Uh, He says that, and the other panellists encouraged uh, audience members to begin envisioning 30-year plans, but they also discussed more current trends, like how airports are moving from quick-service restaurants to chef-inspired foods and adjusting to disruptions in the industry. Uh, Goes on a little bit, but basically what they're saying is that they're trying to look for more commercial opportunities uh, in these airports for people to do business in. Uh, I think we've got enough shopping, haven't we? I I think so. Uh, But um, I I don't don't know. I think it's bad enough as it is at the moment. I can't imagine. uh, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one who finds that weave that you now have to do through duty-free the most infuriating thing in life. I mean, it's just... yes. I, you know, I mean, it's. I, don't get me wrong. I love browsing the duty free. I mean, I lo- I love doing exactly that. You know, but I, I get rather annoyed that I have to decide which. You know, that I have to be made to walk through all of duty free, just to get to the bit that I want to. Yeah, you know. it's like a trip to IKEA, isn't it? Because yeah, they force you up and down the aisles, and you, there's no escape. No. There should be a little kind of secret, uh, secret shortcut through duty free. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. As I say, and yeah, if, 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 as long as I've got plenty of time in, in the airport, I, I, I actually enjoy having a browse through Duty 3 and dreaming about all the things that I'm not going to purchase, you know. But <laughs> it's, uh, it is, uh, it's, it's sort of rather infuriating uh, for me personally. But, I mean, what else can they put in the airport that isn't already there in regard to, like, you know, airport lounges? You've already got several conference rooms in most terminals, haven't you, where people can have meetings and stuff you've certainly got you know loads of hotels with shuttle buses that are laid on to take you straight to the terminal that are all dotted around the outside um you know so you've already got shopping in there you've already got your wh smiths you've already got your you know your dixons and and all that kind of thing i mean what else does the high street need several out outlets for you to eat i mean what what have i missed what is missing that's in the airport is always far more expensive than you would get on Mm. the regular high street including all the you know electronics places Um, you know, because you've left your headphones behind, so you yep. want to buy a new pair or something. So uh, you're always paying the premium pi- uh, price. Yeah, for I've never really understood this idea of attracting people into airports to mm. to do their shopping. It's yeah, unless you're going to really, you know, give some cracking bargains. But, it's but then it's uh, it's only duty free, isn't it? So it's only really if you're sort of leaving and then coming back. In which case, you're probably better off buying what you want from the other end. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I tell so, you, I've I've never found something in the airport that I couldn't buy cheaper. Uh, on Amazon or, or 
true. Like that. <laughs> yeah, you know, true. I, often at Christmas when I'm, I'm coming through, oh, you know, I think I must just get some perfume or something for the wife. Mm. And um, I have a look and it's, it's significantly more expensive uh, yeah. in airports. Actually, I've, I've found, again, personal experience here, actually, I've quite often found that the best deals on duty-free are actually available on the plane, certainly if you're after um, perfumes really? and, and things like that. I've, usually, I've actually quite often found, and I'm sorry to say it, but actually Ryanair is one of the few places where I've actually found what I call top brand high school, high, you know, high street. High school? Um, high, not wow. high school. <laughs> uh, high street um, sense, if you like. So uh, there's, there's an aftershave that I use in particular that uh, that I, that was available on Ryanair. It was significantly cheaper than if I went to Boots here in the in, in Bungie to buy it. So as I say, I think there are d- deals to be had in the on the in the air, perhaps more than than on the ground. Mm-hmm. I tell you what, I came across recently that I'd quite like to see more of at airports. Um, Careful, I family have, show. As I probably family mentioned show. before. No, no, no. This is, this is nothing dirty. Okay. Uh, wow. I have a, a priority pass. Yes. Which is a lounge access pass, which I, uh, you know, I, I don't leave home without it. It's worth its weight in gold, yeah. and I use it all the time. And uh, a few months ago, passing through JFK, I was perusing to see which lounges were available, and they had—I forget exactly what it's called—they um, had private suites available. Right. Suites is quite a grand term is what it was is a, a private room with a a, a sofa bed yeah. a bed a tv a little sort of mini fridge with some drinks in it okay uh, internet access and i thought that was fantastic you know it's only a sort of a size of a, a small bathroom i suppose yeah uh, but I've, I've not seen that anywhere else before and i thought that was quite funky i'd quite They've you know, started. That, that would make my journey through an airport much more enjoyable. We we ran a, a story, I think, a few weeks back, Nev. Didn't yeah, we? Did. I think where where they had these like pods, didn't they? That they'd sort of they they were like glorified. They were slightly upgraded phone boxes, essentially. But they again, you had sort of screens, and I could quite happily yeah. sort of book yeah. myself this one, in one, one of those. The one that I used was was slightly more than a, a pod. It was in yeah. a small room, and you could pull out the bed and um, just sort of stretch out if you it, wanted to for was, a bit. It was lovely because um, you know the lounges are great, but they sort of. Uh, Become a bit less exclusive than yes, they used to yes. be. They tend to be pretty packed these days. Yes, you've got. Uh, and of... sometimes, especially at um, Gatwick and Heathrow, or Gatwick particularly, you can't even get into the lounges half the time. Really? Because they they just accept walk-in sort of trade bookings and stuff. Yeah. 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 Indeed. So I mean, that I must. Was quite funky. I mean, I must admit, I have I have done that before now, where I've had a where I've had an unexpectedly long delay, and I've actually paid me twenty twenty six quid or whatever to go in into the lounge and just sort of just because, you know, there's a few nibbles and you've got sort of drinks available to you as part of that fee and, and all that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, it, it does essentially sort of spoil it, I guess, for for people like yourself because it is being used by us normals. Do you know what I mean? It's, well, that's it, the thing. I, yeah, you know, yeah, I don't want to be a snob, but I hate mixing with you peasants. <laughs> that's fine. I, don't, I, I expect nothing less. Uh, you know, Nev obviously deserves his status. There's there's no two ways about that. But, well, Nev goes but, into the the real lounges. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, but but you know, normal normal plebs like me, it's uh, it's yeah, it's, even. I'm not allowed into the Nev lounges. No, well, no, no, <laughs> indeed. I don't think yes, I'll, yes, I'll have put a uh, restriction on, on that. Yes. But, uh, have you noticed there's um, in T5, Pip, at Heathrow now, there's a paid-for lounge, which is... Yeah, nice. I've used it many times. It's um, uh, the Aspire lounge, is it called? Yeah, that's it, yeah. Yeah, it's quite, uh, it's quite small, and again, that one can get very busy, but it's better than nothing. Yeah. I, did, I thought somebody told me recently that they're opening another one in T5 as well. Ooh, okay. Um, Ooh. I'm not quite sure where they'd put it. 
No. Well, no, they, they've uh, run out of space as it is. Yeah, they? I mean, that a spy lounge is kind of sort of shoved into a, a corner. <laughs> it's just t- tacked on to the end. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's quite good. But I've also been into the BA lounge there a, a couple of times, and that can get blooming busy as well. Yeah, yeah it's not always a great experience, but. No, indeed. indeed. Uh, well, the next story, uh, oh, it's on the sun again it uh, would, for yes. Matt. Yes, lucky me. Hey, uh, so yes. quality journalism awaits. Brace yourselves, everyone. Uh, so the headline is Alf Wiedersen Jet. Uh, I love easy, this, by the way. Okay, EasyJet. We should do more of these stories. <laughs> okay, EasyJet gives Germany a merciless ribbing after World Cup champions crash out in the group stage. EasyJet has has mocked, which is probably a very dangerous thing to do, Germany, after they were dumped out of the World Cup at the group stage for the first time since 1938. In a ton, tongue-in-cheek advert promoting flights to Berlin, the airline joke, the only way you'll see Germany this summer. Ooh. <laughs> Oh, that's quite harsh. Uh, sport headlines are good this morning, but the uh, the madmen have gone one better for EasyJet. So, and, and this picture here, in fact, actually, I will just pop it up while we're uh, we're talking about this. It literally says in this in this newspaper advert, the only way to to still see Germany this summer is uh, flights from twenty nine ninety nine uh, to Berlin, uh, which is is charming uh, so uh, England's old foes needed to win in their final match yesterday but lost to South Korea to finish bottom of their group Germany the reigning champions have progressed past the group stage of the World Cup 16 times in a row before yesterday's humiliating 2-0 defeat to South Korea the astonishing result uh, sparked jubilation among three Lions supporters after Germany broke uh, English Hearts at Mexico's 1970, uh, Mexico 1970, Italia 1990, Euro 1996, and of course in South Africa in 2010. Do you know the thing that amazes me most about this story, Nev, is the fact that Carlos has included a football-related story. This is the thing that has astounded me more than anything else. <laughs> yeah, this is not a sport he recognises. No, it's not. Um, he it? doesn't recognise sport. It doesn't matter which one it is. It's just mm. like, you know, unless it's sort of naked table tennis, he's not interested. That's, <laughs> you know... <clears throat> anyway, sorry. Did I this, share too much um, with the group? <laughs> in case any of our uh, international listeners uh, yes. don't quite get the nuances here, this is Germany being um, humiliated, yes, embarrassed, um, thrashed <laughs> right. I by think they got it, none Pip. less yeah, you're... than South Korea, who <laughs> yeah, are not yeah. one of the world's major footballing powers, no. it has to be said. No, that's uh, true. Knocked out of the World Cup. And for myself, uh, as well as millions of other decent, yes. upstanding British folks, we are, of course, absolutely thrilled <laughs> right. okay. and delighted to okay. see such humiliation yes. heaped yes. on our old adversary, the Germans. I can think of a couple of very regular <laughs> listeners to 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 uh, to the show who, who oh, yes. I would like Nico to apologise. and Fabian yeah, and yeah. Like, I'd like to uh, apologise to... to say to you is... <laughs> Oh, no, stop it. Bad Pip, honestly. I, I must say, in, in a way, I am uh, slightly miffed by Germany going out because it's. I, I'm going to miss now the, our tradition of being knocked out in the semi-final on penalties. Yeah, on penalties, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, absolutely. That's what we look forward to every four years. Yeah, and a small part of me is actually thinking, because actually we do have a footballer, Harry Kane, who seems to be, certainly at the moment, really rather good at penalties. And you're just sort of yeah, thinking... Anyway, if we're talking about football. I'm going to get to, I'm gonna yeah. get abused. Well, just let, Carlos, me, just let me add one th- oh, final on, thing yeah. to this story. Um <laughs> I was flying while this game was on, at yeah. least in the second half, and uh, we always have uh, the guard frequency, 1215, on yeah. our second com box, which is like the emergency frequency, okay. not meant to chat on it. Right. But when the World Cup's on, it just becomes like the live reporting oh, really? station. 
So there were all the Germans coming on. Ah, does anyone know the Scottings of football? Oh, right, okay. And there were about yeah. 400 BAs <laughs> and English Airlines, EasyJets, all cramming in on frequency, going, 2 0! 2 0! And the Germans didn't believe it. They were saying, no, 9 9, of course no, not. Making it up, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. That's it, Nico, in the chat room. You're on guard! Yeah. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. The guards police always seems to have a German accent. Right. Know. And on behalf of the Plain Talking UK <laughs> podcast, I'd like to apologise for any people who were offended by the atrocious accents that Pip has been demonstrating. Uh, <laughs> you are on guard! Stop it. Move on. <laughs> God bless them. Somebody, it's your story next, please. And not, and not in a German accent, please. Oh, sorry. I was too busy <laughs> taking the mic out of the German yeah, accent. No, stop it. Oh, dear. Um, is it another World Cup story? I'm really sorry, one. everyone. I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> oh, dear. Thanks, oh, South Korea. We're gonna, you realise any yeah. emails that we get now, I'm going to start sending to you. You realise that, don't you? Yeah. They're all going to be forwarded well, I on. I shouldn't laugh because yeah. come Tuesday, we're going to be knocked out of the World Cup. Good point. Yes, Columbia, good point. So. Well made. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, our fun will be uh, very much, um, uh, yes, yeah. had at our expense. Anyhow, no anyhow, yeah. let's move on. Yeah. Um, without making any more reference to Germany being humiliated by... Right. What was the score again, Pip? 2-0? 2-0, 2-0, I think right, it was. Yeah. Sorry, I missed it. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'll, I'll, I'll double-check later on. So this is from flightglobal.com. And this is... There's another Airbus story, ah, uh, I think. Qatar Farnborough lineup features A350-1000 and... A Boeing 7478 <laughs> oh. which is the freighter. Yeah. Uh, Qatar Airways is intending to have a strong presence at next month's Farnborough Air Show 2 0, uh, with a <laughs> five jet lineup including the A350 1000, a Boeing 7478 freighter. The Middle Eastern carrier states that it will also be displaying a Boeing 777 plus a 737 MAX of its new affiliate Air Italy. I've never heard of them as well as a Gulfstream G500 of Qatar, Air, uh, Qatar Executive. Uh, Qatar Airways took delivery of its first A350-1000 in February in Air Italy, in which Qatar holds a 49% share, also recently acquired its first 737 MAX 8. Have you heard of Air Italy, Nev? I've seen, yes, I've seen the, um, uh, the logo on a plane somewhere, yeah. and I remember Jenny talking about it as well a little while ago. Uh, but uh, yes. So, anyway, uh, the G500, that's a Gulfstream, by the way, a, a very lovely biz jet. The G500 will join the Qatar executive fleet later this year, says the airline. G500, I wonder if that's a misprint and they mean a G650. Yeah. Uh, G500 is quite an old model. Um, people might not realize Qatar Airways has its own. Uh, private jet fleet for first class. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, you see them quite a, a lot. Quite a uh, you see them around quite a lot. At Sounds good. Places like that, they've got to have some very nice aircraft. Uh, Qatar Airways will show off its Q suite business class cabin on the A350 777. It says its Farnborough presence will be the largest ever for a UK show, which begins on 16th of July, as we well know because. We're all going to be there. there. Yes, hopefully. Hopefully, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's uh, all she wrote on that one. Yeah, it's um, it's uh, well, 
it's going to be good fun, I think. Actually, it's uh, yeah, I, 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 it's not far away now, is it? Of course, we're only a few weeks away from no. from it. Uh, three, weeks, actually, three weekends away, yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. It's going to. It's Hard to believe it was two years ago that uh, we all got together, and yeah. uh, actually, I don't think the three of us had met each other before. Nope. No, no, absolutely we? not. Until I think I, I think I'd met you before that, Pip. I think you and I, had, our paths had crossed. Uh, oh yeah, we. I, I think we met up for a beer in Norwich. In Norwich, that's right. Then, yeah, we, yeah, it, that's oh, right. No, I yeah, think right. it was before. Yeah, I think that was before. And then, uh, as I say, and you, you, me, and Nev actually met for the very first time there, and then had to do the biggest outside broadcast that uh, I think any podcast has ever done ever. Uh, you know, basically not knowing each other, and we still get on. So that's a good sign, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> is, is there going to be any live broadcast either from you guys or? Anyone else this uh, this coming? I, I, th- I think I think we've actually decided that we're going to make it more of a, a community thing. So we will do a show from there at some point. Um, but it, we we aren't we've decided not to do the panel thing like we did okay. uh, last yeah. time because it, it uh, took it out of us so much. Yeah, we, we never yeah. quite recovered. We, we sort of made the exec- executive decision between myself and Nev that really actually uh, don't get me wrong. It was an amazing experience, um, but a it was a so good. I don't think we'd ever top it. And uh, B, uh, people don't really realise how much work both, well, Nev mainly, but me as well, had to put in yeah, to be able to, a tremendous to, to pull that off. So we're going to try and make it a little bit more low-key, but uh, it's going to be more about the beer and the, the socialising this time, you know, uh, especially yeah, as uh, it'll be, you know, it, it's the, there's, there's going to be some people who are, who are going to be there who, uh, you know, won't be around uh, in the UK for a little while afterwards. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be, it's, uh, it's going to be more about the beer i think this time yeah very nice too. yeah right we're going to just finish then on a good news story Ooh, uh, on the good. ink.com and the headline says a teenager offered extraordinary help to a disabled passenger on alaska airlines and their stunning story went viral oh wow Imagine your reaction. You're flying commercial and you're asked suddenly to help a disabled stranger basically stand by their side for the rest of your cross-country journey. Wow. It's wonderful to imagine you might respond kindly and generously. Well, we'd all like to think so. Yes. Uh, but we fly and all, we all know people enduring economy class often aren't exactly primed to be their best selves, so to speak. It goes for passengers and flight crew alike. So perhaps that's why when we hear stories of extreme kindness in economy class, they often go viral, especially when these when there are photos and social media involved. So this case in point is what happened recently on an Alaska Airlines flight from Boston to Portland, Oregon. Uh, Clara Daly, 15, was travelling home to California via Portland with her mother. When flight attendants asked over the PA if anybody on the flight knew sign language and could help communicate with a disabled passenger, she volunteered. She spent a year learning ASL, mainly because she has dyslexia, and it's fairly easy for her to study uh, in school compared to uh, comparing sorry, compared other languages, still compared other languages. Uh, The passenger in need, Tim Cook, who's 64, is both uh, deaf and blind. He'd been visiting his sister in Boston and was returning home uh, alone to Gresham in Oregon. Uh, He can speak clearly, but he wasn't able to understand anything that flight attendants and other passengers were saying to him. A woman who was sitting in the same row described what happened in a now viral Facebook post, focusing first on how another man and then the flight attendants tried to help Cook and how difficult that was, and then how Daly got involved. 
for the rest of the flight. Uh, she attended to Tim and made sure his needs were met. It was fascinating to watch as she, uh, as she signed one letter at a time into his hand. He was able to read her signing and they carried on in, in, to an animated conversa conversation. It was a beautiful reminder in this time of too much awfulness that there are still good, good people who are willing to look out for each other. Well, it's a, that's nice, isn't it? And, that uh, is a really yes, nice really, really, uh, really nice bit of news to end that. It is a lovely piece of news. I mean, the, the only thing that worries me a little bit with this story is I, I'm just a bit concerned that that he was travelling alone. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know quite how one would have, uh, you know, dealt with these situations. And In that situation, how do you explain to somebody if with with a need like that exactly the requirements? I'm, I'm being very boring and talking about the safety elements of flying on an aeroplane here. I mean, it's just, you mm. know, if this passenger hadn't have been on board... One could argue that there was there was an issue there, perhaps. I, I'm sorry, yes, I, I'm, I I'm, spoil, I'm spoiling an otherwise you know ni mm. nice story. I mean, she was here, but uh, you know, to to, to help. But uh, I mean, what what are the rules when it comes to sort of uh, people with disabilities and them being aware of? I mean, what do do any special provisions have to be arranged um, in advance for for something yeah, like this? Um, what? Sorry, I missed the first part of the story because uh, Al sent me the most obscene text message I've ever seen in okay, my life. Right, okay. So that, that distracted me somewhat. Okay. Uh, so what yes. was that what was the, the the disability in question? Well he's he's both deaf and blind and this this particular uh, oh, oh, he was actually um, he was well, actually I mean, on the airplane and travelling alone. Yeah, uh, you can't are... well obviously you can't discriminate against no. anyone in any fashion at all. The only uh, rule or regulation that immediately pops to mind is uh, regarding able-bodied passengers and, and where you can seat them on the aircraft. So yep. obviously he wouldn't be allowed to sit, sit over the in an emergency yeah. exit row. Yeah. Um, yeah. Otherwise, I don't. I say in this particular case, do. obviously, I'm, sorry, I'm spoiling a, a good, good, good feel story, and I'm really sorry uh, for that. It's just uh, the curiosity in me is is literally sort of inquiring as to what. Uh, uh, you know, it's say this particular individual obviously did have help because you know the heartfelt story of this girl helping, helping out, etc. But I, I just as it suddenly occurred to me, you know, it just strikes me as very unusual that the guy was travelling on his own. Um, but uh, anyway, well, that's, I'm that's sure there was right. a good reason. Yeah, absolutely. You know, of course it is. It's uh, yeah. I, I just I just sort of intrigued to know how one would then convey the the safety announcements and that kind of thing if 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 this girl hadn't have been on board. Mm, yeah. Well, gosh, I mean, yeah. Sorry, I've opened a can, can of worms here. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you can't. You can't <laughs> yeah. Sorry, we'll pretend I didn't say everyone. anything. Uh, answers on a postcard, please. Uh, complaints to podcast at plaintalkinguk.com uh, if I've upset uh, anyone. Funny enough, this sort of general area of of uh, how you handle um, disabilities is it seems to have yeah. been becoming a bigger story recently. I've seen quite a few things this this year yeah. in the press about um, disgruntled. Uh, people and the, or the way they've been handled, mostly people with, um, you know, uh, don't know how to say it, more more physical disabilities. Yeah. You know, people in wheelchairs and whatnot, and, and yeah. how they're handled, uh, how they're manoeuvred onto the aircraft and whatnot. And I think the airlines uh, could could improve a lot. There's a lot of work that they mm. they could do. Uh, actually, Steph has raised a very good point. Actually, she's saying it's probably. Uh, do they have the information cards in Braille? And probably the short answer is yes. That's probably how they do exactly. That's exactly how they would do it. I'm uh, actually in, in hindsight thinking about it. I know. Gosh, from, uh, do you know? I, I'm not. 
I'm not sure that airlines do have cards no? in Braille. We certainly don't. No. Okay. Well, That's there we are. Perhaps sure. there's something that we should uh, mm. we should research. Uh, but uh, anyway, as I say, nevertheless, a, a glorious, lovely, lovely story, and it's so nice to know that there is still good people out there, as as we were saying earlier on. So, uh, yeah. Uh, can you dig me out of this hole, please, Nev? That would be great. Yes. Well, luckily, <laughs> that's the end of the commercial <laughs> news segment for this week. Now, up next, uh, it was very, very strange. Actually, I had this uh, panic uh, phone call yeah. from Carlos on. I think it was Friday or. Saturday of last week. In fact, it was Saturday, wasn't it? Yeah. And um, he had, uh, without letting any of us know, of course, had sent a, a letter, uh, email into the Air Malta uh, HQ uh, at Luca Airport there uh, because obviously he was going to be going through there. And he just said, oh, any chance I could interview, you know, somebody high up in the company. And sure enough, they came back to him on the Saturday and said, oh, yeah, would you like to pop in at 11.30 on... Um, <laughs> On Monday, As and you, uh, you can yeah. t- talk to the chairman and the chief commercial officer if you like. Um, yeah. So at this point, he now sends me lots and lots of yeah. uh, WhatsApps. Oh, I don't know what to ask. You know, what should I do? Yeah. Anyway, so. In fact, it went rather well, as it turned out. It did. So he had the opportunity to meet Air Malta's chairman, who's Dr. Charles Mangion, I think it's pronounced, and Chief Commercial, commercial Officer Paul Sizz uh, at the Sky Parks Business Centre. And a very big thank you to Alison and everyone at Air Malta mm. for making Carlos feel very welcome, almost at home, I would think, and uh, <laughs> actually setting it all up for us. So uh, he's done a great interview here, some really interesting information that comes over. So let's have a listen. So I've been very lucky indeed to come to the Sky Park Centre and uh, I've been lucky enough to be invited over to Air Malta's uh, head office here. And with me is Paul Sees. He's the Chief Commercial Officer at Air Malta. So, Paul, welcome onto the show. Thank you. Nice to be there. Thank you. Thanks for uh, giving up your time in the day to, uh, to speak to us on the show. I'm sure the uh, listeners will, will love to hear from you. Well, it was a choice between lunch or speaking with you, and <laughs> I, I prefer the latter. <laughs> so, Paul, so starting off then, uh, tell us a bit about the airline's history, Air Malta, and its beginnings. Well, of course, it has a long history. It's 45 years now started as um, uh, actually uh, an airline that was there to transport tourists to, to Malta, had many years of that status, um, yes, developing scheduled services, but a lot of the, the services they did were charters. I think in, the, in the, the early 2000, it started more and more to develop into a scheduled service airline to also um, service other parts of the community business people uh, start connecting, starting co-chairing with other airlines. Um, had a spot of um, troubles in, in, in uh, uh, the latter part of uh, 2008 to 2010, where reorganization was needed and, and they looked how they could uh, give that um, uh, hands and feet. Um, proved to be very difficult because of course, uh, Air Malta had a track record of being Air Malta and when you want people to change that's a, a, a challenge in most airlines but especially in Air Malta. Um, at one stage the airport or the, the, the government decided to sell off Air Malta and uh, the talks with Alitalia went on for quite a long time, nearly two years, till in the early part of last year, 2017, it came apparent that one Alitalia didn't have a, a bright future and putting 
Air Malta into that situation would not uh, be beneficial for the island, and the government uh, chose not to do so. At that stage, we built a complete new business plan and started working on a, a complete turnaround of the airline based on growth. Uh, until that time, we were basically consolidating the airline and um, re-delivering aircraft, but not replacing them. Until last year, we uh, we had a change in um, in the uh, the representative, of the shareholder, uh, Minister Mitzi, who took care of Air Malta and supported the views of the the, the management to really grow the airline. And that was a complete new era of the airline, of where we went from consolidation to rapid growth, and we're in the middle of that growth uh, spurt at the moment. Um, some good signs. Uh, the good signs are indeed that we are really growing the business. We grew the business in May, for instance, 41%, which is uh, an impressive growth. We added two new aircraft this year, which we can talk about later on. Um, but with that growth, there's also challenges. Uh, do we have enough pilots? Do we have uh, uh, all the resources we want? Are all the resources there in time? Um, and how do we act um, uh, in, in the case of a... Uh, a disruption because in the past we would have a, a fleet of eight aircraft which were doing about seven hours a day uh, so a lot of recuperate time nowadays we fly the aircraft 14 hours a day so a very tight schedule and we're in the middle of that learning curve which is which is a very interesting one so on that subject actually Paul of pilots how easy is it to get pilots because everyone knows in the industry at the moment the big stories are pilot shortage is, mm. is that a problem for Air Malta? It is, it isn't. isn't. Um, we are recruiting pilots at the moment. Um, we're still very careful that when we commit to new resources like aircraft and pilots that we don't tie ourselves down for too long time. Um, Malta is very specific. Um, the Maltese citizen will be happy to live abroad and work abroad but will always want to come back to Malta at one stage. And this is what we found when we said, well, we have a number of openings in, in, in Air Malta that a lot of the pilots that left us in the past to go for a, a foreign adventure want to come back and be part of Air Malta again. So um, we do find it quite easy to find pilots and to retain them. Um, we're also looking at uh, getting in temporary pilots uh, to bridge us through the summer and to help us with the growth of the airline. Um, Malta seems to be very attractive for people to live and, and to work. So also there we, we see quite encouraging results. Excellent. How easy is it to, uh, to run the airline? Um, talking about crews and uh, the aircraft, you know, is it, is it quite a, a sort of a feat to run the airline? It, it, it's complicated, and especially when you're growing. When you have a, a stable fleet and a stable uh, resources of your crews, it's quite easy because it's just maintenance. And um, currently, we are phasing in new aircraft, and phasing in a new aircraft doesn't always come on the day and the age or the time you want it. So, you plan an aircraft to come in May, and then Airbus tells you, "Well, sorry, but we've got a, an issue with the leap engines, or we've got a production." Uh, a delay so it's going to be a month later um, if you know that well in advance you can wet lease an aircraft and, and bridge that gap currently there is no wet lease capacity out there or virtually no wet lease capacity out there so we've had a very challenging month whereby we had to cancel a number of flights due to the fact that we didn't have enough resources now all the aircraft are in place 
We're also filling the backlog of, of, of uh, recruits in pilots. We're having um, pilots being trained as we speak in the simulator center just over the road. So hopefully it all falls into place. But you have a planning whereby you think we've all got it covered and then something happens and you don't have it covered. And then you come into a very complicated situation. So you do your own training uh, at the airport here. You've got, as you said, a simulator here, so you can do your own. Yep. Recently, a lot of, yeah, a lot of airlines a... have to kind of outsource their training. Well, we we have our own training pilots and our joint training captors. Um, there's a simulator uh, just opened up um, uh, on the other side of the road here. It's not ours, but we are committed to it because it's, of course, very easy to just have people going on the cross of the street and doing their training there before we had to go to Frankfurt or to London or to Rome, uh, which again is not, a, not an issue, but it means that the pilot is two, three days out of the office for one training session. Nowadays, we just have one day and they can go to the training uh, uh, just in Malta. Oh, that's brilliant. It must work very well for the, obviously, for a cost saving for the airline. Fantastic for the cost yeah. saving. Maybe less fantastic for the pilots who... Um, liked to have their few days in Frankfurt, Rome or London. <laughs> so uh, it's great to see obviously new routes opening this year, uh, one of them being South End, yep. which is where uh, me and my wife flew from on Saturday. Um, How was the experience? It was a fantastic experience. I have to say the South End is it's the first time I've flown from South End. Um, seamless experience, very quick, um, and also have to say that the aircraft was on time. Um, left a little bit late, but I think that was mainly down to a servicing issue with the grain uh, mm. facilities. Yeah. Um, but again, fantastic crew, spotlessly clean aircraft. Good to hear. And uh, great service from the crew. Very, very good, NT. But um, on that note of kind of new routes, obviously you've got other routes opened uh, in the last few months as well. Obviously, I live in on the east coast of the UK. Air Malta used to fly from Norwich. Yep. Um, would that be back on the cards again possibly at some point in the future we're talking to all the regional airports in the in the uk um we used to have a very strong position in the regional airports of course the uh, growth of low-cost airlines and i think the fact that air malta didn't really follow that trend for a number of years uh, made their position quite difficult in the uk and we had to retreat back to london london heathrow and london gatwick uh, which even a few years ago was quite challenging now we have changed our pricing, revenue management strategy and distribution. We find it much easier to compete with the low-cost airlines. Um, and actually, I think um, we have a very much a hybrid model between uh, a legacy airline and a low-cost airline, especially when people want to find a cheap seat. That can be done uh, with our gold light fares. You just travel with hand luggage, uh, a very basic service on board, um, and you pay for what you want. We've been able to attract a much bigger uh, uh, audience. So now we're talking to the regional airports again to re-entry into the regional market. Um, we are quite demanding on the airports because we believe that when you develop something, it's not just down to the airline because it's also the airport that benefits, and there should be um, it should be a partnership. Um, um, Specific airports are quite good in partnerships and some are less good in partnerships. Um, and it will all be down to does that partnership develop? And if it does, then you'll see us coming to, uh, to the UK into the regional airports. Um, Southend was a very good example of that. 
uh, a very active management who are very keen to get new operations on the line. Um, very creative in the way we put it into the market and, and how we um, look at developing destinations where we, we've got three destinations out of South End, uh, Sardinia, Cagliari, uh, Sicily, Catania, and then Malta, of course, um, which have been marketed quite heavily by the airport in the UK, which is a very competitive market in media, uh, but they've done a really excellent job and the flights are really picked up as they should. So if we can get that bridge with other airports, we will be back. I think for me as a passenger, Paul, when I book the flights to, to the Malta for this holiday I'm on now, comparing the, the cost which I paid for the, my flight with Air Malta, which included the 23 kilos um, suitcase and 10 kilo hand luggage, comparing the prices which I, I could have paid with, say, EasyJet or Ryanair, Air Malta came in nearly half cost of price, and that's before you add on with the other two airlines the baggage and all the other fees. So I think, in in my view, the prices with Air Malta are incredibly um, attractive for someone like me flying from Southend. Well, that was the whole intention. That's why we developed uh, GoLight. Um, in the past, we had real problems competing with the local airlines. Um, with by developing the GoLight product, we could at least in all the meta search engines and the online travel agencies and the travel agency community and online make sure that our pricing is in line with the local sales lines or sometimes even below. Um, due to the fact that we have several airports, for instance, in London, we can also um, create uh, a sort of positioning per airport. Heathrow, of course, is um, a higher positioned airport. Um, the natural inclination to fly from Heathrow is quite high for the UK-based people, but also for the Maltese. But the prices will be higher. Gatwick is, is, is slightly more a bigger market, so we need to be more competitive. Southend is a new market, and we can really say, well, we can do something really special for the consumer there. And our view is that when you have to market a new route from a new airport, because Southend is quite a new airport for a lot of people, you need to get them to, to use it, and then they will start understanding the value of it. Southend is a little pearl, I think, uh, waited to be explored. Well, we jumped on it uh, together with Southend Airport, who really helped us to do that. And now Ryanair is coming in too, uh, which is a very good sign. It means that more and more people will be using the airport. And our view is that in a number of years, um, the slots at Southend Airport will be just as difficult to get as the slots at Gatwick and, and Stansted. So Air Malta operates uh, an all Airbus fleet. Uh, in the past, uh, they have used Boeing products. So do you think Air Malta will ever consider going forward, possibly using other manufacturers, say Boeing or uh, Bombardier or any other manufacturer to add to the fleet? Or will it, will it stay an Airbus fleet? Um, difficult to say. Um, I, I believe that if our growth strategy, as we've set it, um, really materialises, which we don't see a reason why not, uh, but let's be careful in this industry because it's a very difficult industry. We do believe that when we have come above the 15 aircrafts uh, barrier, it could be worthwhile flying a different fleet next to the Airbus fleet. Um, we fly quite a lot of sectors very close by, uh, the Sicilies, the, the, the Sardinias, the, 
um, the Tunises, maybe in the future again Libya, if that opens up. Um, but there's other North African uh, uh, routes, which would be nice to do in a higher frequency with an Airbus. You're down to a low frequency because the gauge is quite high. If we could do that in a higher frequency, that could be worthwhile. However, um, I think economically that would be ideal for a, a, a turbo pro product. I think consumer-wise, uh, uh, RF consumers would be very, very difficult to persuade to fly a, a turboprop. So then we, you would be looking at a smaller jet uh, which could complement the fleet. But in the next years to come, I think we will be very loyal to Airbus and develop where we are. We just added our first NEO. Um, there's more to follow in the next, uh, next years because we're renewing the fleet. Um, and that's the first focus, but then uh, when grown up to 15, 18 aircraft, it could well be that we look at a secondary fleet. Excellent. So who does all the maintenance for uh, your Airbus fleet? Well, the line maintenance we do ourselves. We've got a, a line maintenance unit here. Um, heavy maintenance is outsourced to whoever gets the contract. Uh, we look at the best facilities, best timing, of course, best price. Uh, so the, the heavy checks are done there, but all the other maintenance is done uh, by our own people here in, uh, in Malta. And they, they are employed by Malta? They're employed yeah. by Malta. We've got our own hangar, uh, but we also do third-party maintenance there. Excellent. So with the introduction of the new Air, the 320neo uh, to Air Malta, so have there, are there any plans to, to phase out and retire some of the, the older uh, 320s in the fleet? Indeed. Um, uh, we've got... Over the next five years, I think uh, nearly the whole old fleet expires. Um, I don't think we'll be extending a lot of them. We'll be seeing at replacing them. We see the benefits of the NEO at the moment. Uh, the fuel burn is fantastic. I think the customer experience is really, really good um, and, and a step up from where we are. Uh, we want to also come to a consistency on cabin in, in the future so that We've had a few different kinds of aircraft coming into the fleet uh, due to the fact that we, ha we, we had no choice at that stage and we would like to come to one type of fleet with one type of cabin which will be replacing the older aircraft into a, a new fleet over the coming years. Excellent. And with that training, obviously with the 320neo being relatively uh, similar to the, the, the Air 3, the 320 you use now, I take it the training is, is just a, simply a conversion? It's a very simple conversion. It's a course of half an hour uh, online, and then it's a briefing um, with the training captain uh, uh, before the flight, and you're ready to go on the NEO. Brilliant. So how important, then, are the code share agreements you've got with your partner airlines? Very important. Um, one of the reasons why I think Malta is maybe still one of the uh, few countries in Europe that has a national airline is because we don't see the airline really as an airline. We live on a, on a, on a small island. Um, the only way to get around in the world is by flying. Um, Maltese and going out uh, tend to fly a lot, but also people coming here uh, on, on a holiday have to fly. Um, with a 10 aircraft fleet, we can serve a maximum amount of, of, say, about 30, 35, maybe 40 destinations throughout Europe. But we can't fly beyond because we don't have the resources to do that. Having a long-haul fleet for a small airline like this would be quite challenging. 
<coughs> not impossible, but in the, in the current circumstances, quite challenging. So we opted to work together with other airlines, creating uh, networks that reach beyond our network to get new people into Malta, but also to have uh, more destinations within our reach for people living in Malta. So at the moment, I, it's about 14-15% of our revenue is co-chair revenue, which is a significant amount. Uh, it's more than even cargo uh, uh, contributes to us. So we would not be able to do without a co-chair partners. Fantastic. So with the island of Malta becoming uh, more popular and the go-to place in the Mediterranean, what are the future plans or goals for the airline? Well, our government has been quite clear um, and they adopted the plans we wrote as management for the airline is we're very much looking at North Africa to, uh, to venture more and more into that. We're ready to Tunis, um, we're ready to uh, Tel Aviv. Uh, we're very much looking at going also into other North African uh, countries in, in the future. We used to have a big base in uh, Libya until, of course, uh, the situation in Libya deteriorated, but keen to get back in there. We also look at Sub-Saharan Africa uh, because we believe that um, between Europe and Sub-Saharan Africa, there can be a much better connection and Malta geographically, of course, fantastically uh, uh, positioned to do so. Another area we're looking at venturing out is other Mediterranean islands. Malta has been able to grow its uh, uh, tourism significantly and its uh, economic position significantly due to the, the fantastic connections we have. And that's not only Air Malta, but it's also our colleague airlines flying in and out of Malta, uh, which create a fantastic um, uh, network. And we believe that other air, uh, islands in the Mediterranean who don't have a national carrier could benefit by having um, uh, a connection in the form of what Air Malta is doing for Malta, Air Malta could do for other islands. So we also believe that there is a future for Air Malta uh, uh, serving other islands. And the, the way we're looking at uh, developing is uh, making Air Malta from the airline of the Mediterranean, sorry, the airline of the Maltese islands to becoming the airline of the Mediterranean islands. I think that will probably work very well, and that will probably happen. I think, Paul, with the the way the airline, I think, is is, is coming, you know, really coming alive now. I think, you know, the future looks very bright for Air Malta. We we believe so. Um, we are very realistic that uh, um, although the future looks bright, we we still have challenges. We work on a daily basis on those challenges with a lot of pleasure. Um, we believe that uh, we will overcome those challenges and, and be able to serve these markets in a, in a very good way. Standardization of the fleet, standardization of the, 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 uh, the product are, I think, key for that. Uh, we're also very soon implementing uh, a new catering product on board, much more flexible, much more high quality. Um, so we believe that we're putting the building blocks in place to really come to into the future. So Paul, before we wrap up, just tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, where, where were your beginnings? Ah, interesting one. Well, <laughs> um, actually, if my, my true beginnings were um, sitting behind the radio uh, uh, mic because I was a DJ oh. when I was young. Yeah. Um, but um, rolled into aviation by, by coincidence um, and got stuck there 30 years ago. Um, in aviation now for 30 years. 
um, ran a number of regional airlines in the past, then worked for the Virgin Group uh, uh, for a number of years, um, and then ventured for a few years into the resort business uh, in the Centre Parks Group, uh, which was absolutely a great experience, but um, I missed aviation. And then worked the last, uh, I think the last 18, no, sorry, 14 years as a consultant uh, in, in various forms, setting up airlines in the Middle East, um, North Africa, uh, in Africa, uh, reorganizing airlines um, in, uh, all around Europe too. Um, arriving in Air Malta uh, early, or end of 2016, early 2017, um, initially for a few months to help them uh, restart after the Alitalia operation, and got stuck because uh, it's a very contagious place where you want to be um, in a great challenge and um, looking forward to be here for the next years. Oh, brilliant. And I'm guessing you enjoy your job very much. I enjoy my job very much. We enjoy the island very much. We enjoy the people very much. And most important, my family loves uh, Malta. Um, we just had a, a good weekend with a lot of hours of sun and a lot of swimming which is uh, uh, a totally different lifestyle from what we have in the, when we're back in Europe. So very much encouraging. So, Paul, just to wrap up then, it's a question that we always ask all the pilots and everyone we interview on, on the show. Uh, and it's kind of a put-you-on-the-spot question, but given the chance to fly or uh, sit you know, in, the, in the flight deck, any aircraft, either flying retired, commercial, military, GA, and you were given that chance to, to go out there now and, and have a trip or a flight on that aircraft, what would that aircraft be? Um, twofold, I think the, the, the archetype workhorse is still the 737, um, fantastic aircraft to fly, um, and, it's, and it's still flying. Um, I've never flew an Airbus, a few weeks ago I did a, a, a course on the, um, on the simulator here, um, Impressive uh, aircraft or impressive piece of machinery, but it's not flying. I think maybe I'm insulting people now. <laughs> um, my my dream would still be to fly a triple seven because I think that's uh, that's still one of the best air built aircraft in the world. Perhaps you could chat to one of the Emirates guys when they fly in with the triple sevens here. Fantastic! Yeah, <laughs> that'd be a good idea. <laughs> well, Paul, on behalf of the Plane Talking UK podcast, I really want to thank you for your time and uh, obviously you know inviting us here today to speak with you and we wish you all the best uh, for thank the you airline in the future thank you very much it was a real pleasure talking to you and hopefully the listeners um, had some information about air malta but keep keep tuned because there's more to more to look at thank you thanks for your time Paul. thank you thank you well wow. that was good wasn't it that yeah. was wasn't it He's done us proud there, hasn't he? Bless him. Even when, even when he's on holiday, look, he's busy, uh, busy looking after after the show. I mean, honestly, didn't he do well? Yeah, excellent, actually. And uh, I think the the thing the thing with um, uh, those sort of interviews, especially when you're talking to someone like that who just yeah. just gives so much uh, information, it is really really informative. And uh, yeah, really interesting to hear about the history of the airline. Uh, it's it's great to hear somebody who talks with passion as well. Do you know what I mean? He's he clearly loves what he does for a living, doesn't he? There's 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 no two way, two ways about it. Lots of people yeah. are asking in the chat room how very soon uh, Carlos is going to relocate 
to uh, <laughs> to um, to Malta. I think if he had his his way, I don't think he'd come home. To be fair, but because uh, he yeah, is has he got a return home. ticket? Uh, I, well, I, I think that is the rumor, but uh, yeah, <laughs> easily changed. I fear. Never oh, mind. Dear. Brilliant, but uh, no, really good job there, Carlos, and. Uh, Thanks for turning it around so quickly and sending it back. That was yeah, uh, that was fantastic. Yeah, it's nice. To, as I say, even though he's on a holiday, at least he's yeah. been on the show. That's that's good. He'll be yes. happy with that, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. Well, now we're coming up to do a few military stories. Some of you will be pleased to know. So, yeah. are you ready for this, Pip? I'm ready. Are you ready? I am. And I'm, are you ready? Excellent. Yeah, I was born ready. Don't you? Don't worry about that. Excellent. <laughs> well, off we go then. Well, starting off on the cityam.com website, um, it's talking about the RAF Centenary July flypast, which is going to be happening over central London. And the RAF showpiece uh, celebrating its 100th anniversary has been announced as a once-in-a-lifetime centenary flypast over the city. Uh, the event on the 10th of July will see up to 100 aircraft take to the skies with historic aircraft such as Spitfires along some, alongside some of the RAF's newest additions, including the first opportunity for the public to see its next generation aircraft, which is the Lightning. And the RAF said that whilst all aircraft participation is subject to the weather, aircraft serviceability and operational commitments, it is expecting to have Juno, the new training helicopter, which replaced the Squirrel, the iconic Battle of Britain fighter, the Spitfire, and the Hurricane on display, to name but a few. Ahead of the flypast, there'll be a parade starting at 11.25 a.m. on uh, of 1,000 RAF personnel and another 300 line route marching up to Horse Guards Road and the Mall towards the Palace. The flypast formation is expected to pass over Buckingham Palace at 1pm and members of the public will be able to take up viewing positions along the length of the Mall. And the huge display will feature a range of aircraft to mark different eras of the RAF's 100 year service history. And prior to this event there will also be uh, an aircraft tour on the Horse Guards Parade between the 6th and 9th of July for the public to view an exhibition of aircraft spanning the RAF's history from World War One and World War Two through to the present uh, day. Air Chief, Marshall, uh, Air Chief Marshall, Chief of the Aircraft Staff, Sir Stephen Hillier said this once in a lifetime flypast will provide an iconic centrepiece for the RAF 100 celebrations. In our centenary year we are commemorating those that have come before us, celebrating our current personnel and ultimately inspiring a new generation to write the next chapters in the RAF story. So that's going to be an absolutely fascinating uh, display of aircraft, but also um, uh, some static displays going on there as well uh, between the 6th and 9th of July. I might see if I can get down there, actually, mm. and do a bit of filming. Yeah, Perhaps do, that'd be please. That would be great. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the, the dating question then, uh, it's a, if you're in the London area, uh, is going to be uh, in July, and it's uh, July the 10th. Uh, that's the date mm. to look out for. Okay, yes, sounds good. Uh, I, do, I do love the Battle of Britain fly pass. Any of them are, are fantastic. So uh, we'll move on to the next story, and this is on the Wales Online. And I think Carlos has chosen this especially because somebody, aka me, sat down and watched Top 
gun for the first time ever yeah, today, oh, a couple of days ago. And uh, the headline is, US Air Force top guns uh, put on incredible low-flying display over the Welsh countryside, which is quite cool. So these incredible images, which I'll play for you in a moment, uh, show um, uh, American top gun fighter jets uh, flying so low over Wales, hills walk hill walkers can see inside the cockpit, as you do. Uh, swooping and dipping around the valleys near... Oh, dear... Dol Dolgalu, oh dear. Dolgethly. <laughs> Dol thank you. <laughs> the US Air Force. Uh, Get US him. <laughs> I know, show it off, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, the US Air Force, USA. We should have had uh, Captain Al on, really, for the. We should have done absolutely for the mm. for the full phlegm version, as yes, I like to refer to it. Uh, so the USAF, the F-15E Strike Eagle planes were photographed as they carried out breathtaking training exercises earlier this week, flying along the Mac to the Mac Loop, a sparsely populated one-way route perfect for vital low-level flight training. The jets can be flown as low as 250 feet or 76 meters, if you prefer, from the ground. And actually, some of these photos are absolutely. In fact, I'm, what I'm going to do is while I'm going to break with protocol here, and I'm going to pop the pictures up while I'm uh, reading the story because they are actually really quite stunning. Uh, as I say, literally taking photographs inside the cockpit there, uh, which is is uh, just ridiculous. Um, uh, I mean, I'll tell you what, Nev, what you wouldn't give to be on that hillside with your camera. Uh, I've, you get some amazing shots with, with these pictures. Yeah, you? they're great, aren't they? And, uh, yeah, re really fascinating to see mm. how close up you can get. I know they've got quite long lenses as well, but actually yeah. they are they are not far away at all. Right? They really yeah, that's, are. That's not. a very popular uh, site for a, for a plane spot, as the old Mark Loop. Is it? I can't it? Think exactly where it is in Wales, but there's a, you know, on the internet there's hundreds and hundreds of really? similar pictures. Uh, yes, yeah, so plane spotters can be seen in the background watching the impressive display. In some images, the planes are flying as, so low that any passing hillwalkers would be able to look down into the cockpit. This is just, I mean, it's just brilliant. It's uh, something you'd love to see, wouldn't it? Oh, look at that one with the jet wash just behind it, look. Oh... Oh, yeah, I think yeah, I think we need a holiday in Wales. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the RAF regularly used the loop, uh, as do other NATO, NATO countries. Apparently, even the Red Arrows have been known to practice in the area. Which oh, it's just so cool, isn't it? Uh, it's uh, love that. There's a there's a great little video here. I don't know if it will all play while I'm um, trying to sort of do it. Oh, come on, go. There's for a, it. A, a slightly obvious. One on a mistake, uh, an obvious uh, contradiction with the video there. Yeah, go on. I'm sure you spot it in a second. Okay. <laughs> oh, there we go. Sorry, but he says apologising to everyone who's listening to on well, the... the. The headline was uh, U.S. Top Guns, and that was uh, video was clearly a. Uh... Royal Air Force. Oh, I see, right. <laughs> oh, dear. Sorry, that, yeah. that's, that's the geek in me. No, no, out. no, quite right, absolutely. And I'm sure one will, Nev will support all the way. We're, we're, <laughs> we're, rather, we're rather partial to correct aeroplanes associated with, with correct stories, are we not? So, oh, I think so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A very rare thing, sadly, these days. Anyway, lovely though that was. So we'll, we'll finish with our final military story. If I could hand that to you, please, Pip. Uh, thank you very much. This is quite a, a, a interesting one. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, this is again from flightglobal.com. Yeah. Um, it's the unmanned Sky Guardian to cross the Atlantic for the Royal International Air Tattoo debut. Oh. So the story says, oh. General uh, General Atomics Aeronautical Systems MQ-9B Sky Guardian. That's a rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? It does. Yes. <laughs> uh, medium altitude, long endurance, remotely piloted air system or RPAS 
will make its first transatlantic journey early next month before appearing at the UK's Royal International Air Tattoo at RF Efford, which uh, many of us are going to. Yeah. The aircraft, which forms the basis of the UK Royal Air Force's future protector RPAS, is scheduled to land at RF Fairford in Gloucestershire on the evening of 11th of July and is due to appear in the static display at the 13th to 15th of July event. Expected to last more than 20 hours, the non-stop sortie will commence from General Atomics Flight Test and Training Centre in Grand Forks, North Dakota. On 25th of June, the UK Civil Aviation Authority detailed a series of planned airspace restrictions that will be made in support of the Sky Guardian's arrival. These will be activated for the safety of of the remotely piloted aircraft and other airspace users, the CAA said. Temporary danger areas will be activated by no time with potentially less than 24 hours notice, the CAA also said. Each danger area will be managed by an air traffic control unit. Uh, during flight testing, the Sky Guardian has demonstrated its ability to remain airborne for more than 48 hours. Gosh, wow. That is a long time. That's, that's incredible. Mm. Oh, Carlos would love that. Yeah, Shame yeah. That. Yeah, I'd say he'd happily. Well, as long you know, as long as they offered a you know a basic drink service, I think he'd be quite happy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the civilian aircraft, which the civilian aircraft, which is certified and registered through the US FAA, has been issued permission to operate within UK airspace. RF operations with the last. Oh, let me start that again. I can't talk tonight. RAF operations with at least twenty protector RG1s are due to commence during the 2020s with the type to be certificated for use in non-segregated airspace to replace the service's current armed reapers. And breathe. <laughs> so that's fun. That's going to um, be coming across to the air show, which yeah. um, I don't know if we've seen one of these at an air show before. No. I, I, I certainly haven't, so I'll be really happy no. to see that. It's going to um, be fascinating. I know certainly it's been causing, not some headaches, but it's been causing some additional issues that they've had to look at from an air traffic control point of view. Okay. Um, as I learned from our friend, uh, who should remain nameless, our, our air traffic controller friend who is involved with the REAT. Yep. I know he's been posting some stuff this week about their preparations for the arrival of this thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I thought it'd be good fun. Be uh, interesting. Uh, on a um, slightly wider issue, the, the restrictions, airspace restrictions that it mentions for the REAT, I've been taking a look at these uh, this last week. So I was half thinking about flying down to a react in my little PA-28, mm. uh, the air traffic restrictions and airspace closures are, are fairly extensive. Um, it's a bit of a nightmare, actually. They're, they're closing, well, not closing off, but they're restricting quite a large portion of airspace uh, in the south of the UK. And to fly through, it's a, a bit of a pain in the backside, to be honest. And I'm wondering if it's, if it's worth the hassle or not. <laughs> You'll be flying, of course. It will be worth the hassle. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing this, and I'm, I'm looking forward to being at rear. I'll be there on the Saturday, incidentally. Yeah. Uh, I know a number of other people will be there. I think, I hope I'm not speaking out of place here, I think uh, Nick and uh, Captain Jeff will also be there at some point that weekend. Yeah, that, I think. I think. I don't think you are speaking out of turn. I think that is their plan. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know if they wanted to keep that as just a you know a sort of a private date. Oh, I see. Or what, right. I don't know. Okay. Uh, Al will certainly be there. 
and he will be accepting ice creams and burgers and other donations. Of course, mm. as, as, as only he knows how. <laughs> mm. yeah, indeed. And I dare say, hopefully, um, we'll, we'll, we'll um, perhaps persuade you guys to do a little segment for us. While, Unfortunately, for, for logistical reasons, uh, myself and uh, Carlos are unable to make it. I don't think you're able to make it either, are you, Nev? Uh, no, I'm not allowed to pass out uh, two no. weeks on, on the trot, no. so I'll be at Farnborough the Friday, <laughs> Saturday and Sunday, yep. but uh, not yeah. at Riyadh. Indeed, and those, those are my plans as well, is hopefully the Friday, Saturday and Sunday, uh, turning up Thursday night, uh, so yeah, it should be... Uh, should be good. So yes, uh, so we'll we'll be leaving you and Al in charge of uh, of looking Ooh. after our wonderful community while while you're that's, there. So. Yeah, that's dangerous a sensible decision you can trust us <laughs> yes yes don't make me regret it pip thank you uh-uh. <laughs> yeah, absolutely uh, well good that yeah whatever yeah yeah uh, and that is i'm afraid where we have to start wrapping things up uh pip thank you so very much for joining us uh, at short notice to, to help us fill in carlos obviously now that he's otherwise occupied this evening uh, it's- ah, ah, always a pleasure it's been brilliant. And uh, in case uh, people are under living under a stone, uh, perhaps you'd be good enough to let them know how they get hold of your marvellous podcast, sir. Oh, yes. They can find it at plainsafetypodcast.com or on iTunes um, and places like that. Indeed, absolutely. So it's yeah, www. I, was, I was hoping to record a show this week, but I just haven't found the time. Afraid, Honestly, what you like? It's yeah. <laughs> it's a com is where you will find Pip's That's fantastic cool. show. Thank you, Nev. What, anything exciting planned for you next week? Uh, no, I'm not particularly. Um, right. I'm just going to carry on enjoying the weather. I will have to do some yeah. work as well, of course. Boring. Yeah. Uh, but just before we go, one thing mm. to remind everybody of is the Plain Talking UK barbecue Ooh, yes. fly-in. Yes, I'm glad uh, somebody's which, reading the show notes. Yes. Which is, uh, yeah, which is going to be happening on the 18th of August. Now, yep. some of you have already given us uh, information about uh, what you're yep. doing, and if you would like to join us for that it's going to be an awesome event Hopefully. obviously very weather dependent in terms of the flying bit yes um uh, but we'll be doing this at seething airfield of which the ICAO code is echo golf sierra juliet and i know that uh, al is planning to come down to mm-hmm. my local ga airfield at wickham air park and fly mrs nev and i across the country to uh seething and i think pip are you planning on taking your pa i certainly am i've i've i'm really happy that i'm going to be there i've negotiated with uh scheduling to have that day off fantastic Um, it's kind of early days but maybe i can just take this opportunity to to throw this out there for people Uh, i am planning on flying across as well in my little uh pa28 obviously weather dependent yeah very weather dependent and um and not just weather, you know, planes break and yes, yeah, of course, yeah, blah, 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 all that. But I do have a couple of spare seats, um, hopefully three spare seats if I can make the fuel uh, and weight and balance and all that kind of stuff yeah. work. So I've already promised one seat to our, our the lovely Barbara Parish, so she's yeah. going to be coming along. But if anyone else out there wants to uh, accompany us, then send me uh, an email to yeah. feedback at planesafetypodcast.com. Uh, you'll need to get yourself down to probably Cranfield Airport sometime on a Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't quite decided yet if we're gonna if I'm gonna stay overnight. I think I probably will. Okay. Um, so um, bear that in mind, people. Yeah. Uh, if you want to come back on the Sunday morning. Yeah. Uh, so drop me an email, um, um, and we'll see what we can do. If there's loads yeah. of interest, then I'll. I don't know, just pick names Do a ballot or something. Or something. Yeah, it's, absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, yes. It, email if you're interested. 
Yeah, the uh, accommodation um, is in this in this particular area is relatively limited. So uh, if uh, you are wanting to sort of join us and sort of you know stay overnight, perhaps uh, if you give us an email that's probably going to be the easiest thing because obviously myself and Carlos live in this part of the world uh, so if you bung an email to podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and you need some assistance in regard to finding some accommodation we'll certainly do what we can to help you in regard to logistics from seething back to uh, wherever it is that you end up staying but uh, yes yeah, so. I'm sure there are plenty of B&Bs and whatnot in the local area yeah you'd think so uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah though if you need any help obviously do podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and we'll do what we can to assist uh, yeah so that is uh, any, any other business Nev have, uh, have we missed anything no I think we've got it all covered uh, thank goodness so, for that uh, yeah <laughs> We're looking forward to that. So I just hope Gonna the weather great. plays nicely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yes. It will. I'm, I'm giving you a pip guarantee. Way oh. excellent writing, please, pip. I need that in writing. Uh, yeah. So uh, I've I've already been myself and mother have uh, already been planning the menu. So at the moment, uh, had a bit of an experiment at a barbecue I did last weekend's where I, where I made my own pork and chorizo burgers, which were really rather fabulous, Sounds I have flat, to say. Yeah. So uh, uh, there's going to basically everything that's going to be at the barbecue will be made by myself and mama. So. Uh, yeah, it's all going to be handmade. None of none of this bought over the you know bought from the um, supermarket rubbish. It's all going to be sort of you know oh, proper handmade. So it's going to be really good fun. Should, should people bring stuff with them? Some uh, you know kebabs or whatever to chuck on the barbie. I would suggest really. No, we. What I would say to to everyone who who wants to come, uh, as I say, we do need to know you're coming in advance. That's the only thing because uh, obviously it is an operating airport and seeding need to know in advance who they're expecting. So uh, you need to get your request into podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. We have had a couple of emails, I noticed, that have gone astray for some reason. So if you haven't had a response from anyone yet, then it's likely that that your email has gone astray. Uh, We don't know why that's happening, but I know we've had a couple of emails this week, haven't we, Nev, where somebody sort of said they've tried to email us and it hasn't come through. Um, yes. So if you haven't had a response from us yet, then please do send uh, the, the the email again, uh, just so that because as I say, we have to have a, a list, a guest list, basically to give the the airport. That also obviously helps us with in regard to catering. And the only thing you need to bring with you, uh, nothing from food point of view, uh, but we will need you to bring whatever beverage it is that you would like to drink. Uh, beverages. So, okay. um, someone in the chat room, uh, a Mr. Carlos Stebbing. Never heard of him. He has, no, has no, raised yeah. a very good point. He says, "Will there be cake?" Uh, uh, I'm sure if I ask the lovely lady who made the cake for us at our 200th I'm sure she'll be more than happy to oblige so uh, I will will get in in touch with the lovely cake finity as soon as this show finishes that was the best cake ever wasn't it I loved it I know it's incredible wasn't it because it was was gluten free dairy free and soya free so it literally it didn't matter what allergen you had it was suitable for you it it was yeah I I never got a piece no it's because we ate it all because I like cake so we had well, cake and- <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I like cake and you like beer, Pip. It should have been a perfect marriage, really. Uh, <laughs> indeed. Anyway, that's where we are going to bring the show to a close. So, uh, any other business before we press the go button? No, I think that's it. And just uh, remains for me and everybody else to thank you very much indeed for uh, tuning in again this week. And uh, we're back on Friday next week. Yeah, no Carlos again next week, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I know he's 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 working next Friday, and unfortunately, our diaries, myself and Nev, we're unable to to do any other day other than the Friday. So uh, yes, uh, so it's me and Nev again, and hopefully someone else. We don't know who that is yet, but we'll be going for eighteen hundred UTC uh, as always. So join us if you can. From everyone who's on the show tonight, everyone say goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye. Say bye bye. Bye everyone. Bye. bye. bye.